Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I don't like blood and guts, But I love them when they're lengthily Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the scream. Let me start again. (laughs) You start this one. (laughs) No, 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 you go, you go. That was good. I'm Matt Gorley. (laughs) Oh, yeah, let's lock in. I thought that was a perfect opening. (laughs) I'm Paul Russ. This is with Gorley and Russ. You might have figured that out because we told you our names and our names are in the titles. And you're familiar with prepositions like with... And uh, yeah, and I'm sure they're uh, familiar with. Oh, what's the and or? Is it an or article? Article. But is it what's a definite article as opposed to just an article? Ooh, well, preposition. I learned that it's with a. It's like a you can you use the word desk as a way to know like under the desk, oh. next to the desk, uh, with the desk. And then, and you're saying is the indefinite article or, or definite. I don't know which it is. Oh my God. So I know you can't end a sentence with anything that could be on or below a desk. Yes. Like a stapler. Never end a sentence with a stapler. <laughs> yeah. You just did, but that's because we're oh, just talking right now. Yeah. This is, this is a writing. We're not writing an essay. No, here. it's not Strunk and White's guide to podcast style. No. In fact, we're just two buddies sitting out on a front porch right now. That's right. We are. We First moved time. to the front porch because there's some noise going on in the backyard. You can hear a dog barking in the front yard. Yeah. But that's beautiful. That's a. Yeah. Scene setting. Yeah. Yeah. So this is with Gorley and Rust, and I'll tell you what is going on here. This Mm -hmm. is a podcast where we talk about horror film or thriller franchises at great length and in an easy listening style. That is true with just uh, the sun shining down on us and friendly dogs barking in the background. Yeah, You can go to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust and get all kinds of Mm -hmm. more content, including this episode you're listening to now, a week early and ad free, plus feature length film commentaries, mailbag episodes, a draft episode that is out now that has been out for about a little over a week we did with Matt Fraction and Mark McConville hosted. And this thing, 
gangbusters. I was just about to say it was a, a killer draft, but I meant it as in like uh, tubular, like it was yeah, a tubular radical. draft, but it is yeah. truly a killer draft. That's right. It's a slasher draft. We're calling it Project Red Light. We're not going to tell you what looks to be fairly clear in the results because yes. there's still some time. Maybe we'll go two weeks or something, but I'm I'm pretty happy with the results and we'll yeah. see. It's like the um, Oscar campaign season. Yeah. Like, clearly there's a best picture winner at some point, a yeah. front runner. Um, and then... Uh, I would say right now mine's sort of flight floating at the Cider House Rules level <laughs> of Oscar recognition. I, I remember liking that movie. Uh, hey, your buddy, uh, our buddy, Michael Caine. Yeah, that's that right. That is for second, second Oscar. Oh, right. But he was able to accept it because he wasn't shooting uh, on the set of the uh, previously discussed Jaws the Revenge. Now, speaking of Jaws, I did have an idea for a second draft. Ooh. The Creature Draft. <gasps> So you've got Jaws, perfect Xenomorph, and maybe Gremlins. Gremlins, yeah. Yep. As soon as he said creature, I'm like, <laughs> those little green guys got to get in there. Sorry, and munchies. Uh, right, I'm sorry. That should have been the very first thing. We do said. have to cover the munchies at some point. Yes, uh, munchies, and then the sequel, Munchie, the reverse <gasps> alien aliens. <laughs> There's a car starting up next to us, but I think don't worry they were about so it. shocked by that n- news about Munchies Munchies. <laughs> they had they to get like, out of town. I gotta, I gotta go. Get your things. Where's the go bags? <laughs> Wait, I'm so curious as to what that could possibly mean franchise-wise that there's a bunch of Munchies and then they're like, let's distill it down to its core. <gasps> like they went Aliens, like you said, or like Aliens yeah. to Alien 3. Yeah, do you think it was like the, the James Cameron pitch where... Somebody came in and wrote munchies and then erased the S. And there was like, that's your sequel. <laughs> um, I, uh, I've i seen munchies. Okay. We're the munchies. Yeah. We're and the munchies. I, and I've seen the sequel, Munchie. Um, uh, so I've seen both of them, but I'd be more than I'm munching at the bit. To discuss the Munchies movies. Well, now it's a done deal. And uh, right now we're in the thick of discussing uh, the Scream franchise, huh, brother? That's right. We're three deep in this MFR, and uh, we're talking about Scream 3 today, which, you know, you've been kind enough to guide me through this series. I'd seen the first one. I had not seen any of the others that I remembered. Mm -hmm. And so... You had mentioned that this was probably the weakest of the franchise. We haven't seen... The new one that's coming yeah. out in a week or two. Right. We I, I've seen Scream 4, but we haven't seen uh, Screams. Yeah. Uh, as Leslie, my wife, thinks it should be called. Yeah. Uh, instead of Scream 5. Screams. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, following on the Munchies aliens thing, <laughs> yeah, it should have been Scream, Screams, Screamier, Screamiest. And Scree? Then you or, erase the M? You just start <laughs> raising letters. Or scream hard, live free or die. Ooh, that's or good. Scream harder, screamer. I don't know. Scream hard with the vengeance. I'm just going to say up front, full disclosure. I'm, it's been, I'm tired. <laughs> with a capital T? <laughs> I had to watch this I, movie I in two notice. parts. And uh, a good kind of tired, but you know how it is with a... Sure. I'm learning we don't have a newborn anymore. We have an infant. Is that it's fully think, crossed the threshold? Yeah. And I mean, she seems like a boy. Is she, she's just grinning and cooing and mm. smiling and laughing and oh my God. grabbing on. She holds on to the, we have this rattle 
that she holds on to kind of like uh, like a queen's scepter and it feels like she's directing us to do certain things and it's it's heaven <laughs> yeah she uh knighted you yeah i think i mean i took it that way i'm assuming that's what it was what, what's the things that uh that crack her up or uh make her smile um she loves it when we sing Itsy Bitsy Spider, but mm. in this way, the itchy bitchy speed rich come up with a water spooch. <laughs> Dooch come the rooch and wash the spoochy ooch. <laughs> Basically. And then Amanda jumps uh, up and down while she does it and she loves that. Oh and then she loves she loves any nursery rhyme in a different language, like Un Elefante, which is the Spanish nursery rhyme where you learn about a spider that went into a spi- uh, elephant that goes on a spider web and is like, This can hold me, I might as well invite some friends. That elephant is wrong. He's gonna, yeah. he's gonna learn. That <laughs> I know, might not at be some the case point, soon. when you get to your tenth elephant, we've never <laughs> sung it that high, so we don't know yet. Spoilers. Uh, and then there's a fade dough, which is something about mommy's in the kitchen, daddy's making hot chocolate. I, I that's French. I haven't fully figured that one out. That's awesome. I, I bet it's like. She's like, I know the standard ones. I need a twist. Yeah, give me she, a twist. Kids guys. these days are so meta. <laughs> I mean. For them, Scream 3 is just something you turn on the faucet and it comes out the tap. Like it's just <laughs> that level of meta is just so normal now. But for us, oh my gosh, it's yeah, man from heaven. Get into it? Yeah. 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 So yes, uh, when we discussed it before, um, uh, uh, by the way, we could make this whole podcast just stuff that your baby's doing and I would be very happy about that. So uh, I won't do that to you or the listeners, you know, I'm, I'm conscious of, you know, a little taste is I fine, think people would love it. Yeah. It's, this is a cozy, uh, you know, cozy conversations at length. Yeah. What's going to make it longer and cozier than talks about baby. I was going to say true. baby talk, but we don't want to do that. Be- Unless it's like, um, look who's talking now. I was, uh, um, watching, uh, or, flipping through and I saw Pulp Fiction and uh, um, the scene where, spoiler, uh, Bruce Willis shoots John Travolta. Yeah. And I thought like, he's going to do that to his dad who adopted him? (laughs) I never thought of that. (laughs) Oh my God. Talk about like Oedipal Complex. Yeah. Or you love your mother and kill your father. Jeez. Kirstie Alley then pops her head and goes, thank you. Uh, now, hop and do it. how's this look? And in my mind, she's wearing lingerie. It's, <laughs> like I said, I'm tired. My things aren't going to be fully formed. <laughs> I like Kirstie Alley coming in lingerie and full fiction <laughs> and referencing, look who's talking. My God. Now, I'm a, I'm a look at me. <laughs> and Bruce Willis just goes, gaga, goo goo. <laughs> <laughs> they come back to him. He's wearing a big bonnet, with a pacifier, <laughs> holding a big bottle. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, right, like you said, um, it's maybe the my least favorite of the franchise, which I guess means technically it's a low point relative I, to the yeah, yeah relative to the others. But when I think about Relative to the other franchises that we've watched, low right? Points. I see. Like we've never, we haven't had a moment where Buster Rhymes uses kung fu on the ghost face killer, and we haven't had like uh, a ghost face worm 
that yeah, enters true. people's bodies and you don't ever see Ghostface. You just see him possessing different people like Jason. Yeah, did. no supernatural. They've never gone to the supernatural. Yeah. And it's funny, they kind of, um, they talk that out a little bit in that scene with uh, McDreamy, oh, <laughs> Patrick yeah. Dempsey and her when, when she's like, he's like, you can't shoot a ghost. But you can't shoot what's real. Yeah. It's like, ooh, the, these are the rules of Scream. That's a good point that this, yeah, its low point is, it has such a narrow bandwidth from good to low because it's fairly consistent. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, because we, we talk about Friday the 13th being the most consistent franchise mm-hmm. so far. This one I know has a lower sample size, but right. I think it's the most consistent so far. Yeah, yeah. the most consistent um, in tone and yes and ideas but also quality it has to be the west craven factor because even this one part of the answer of maybe why this one dips a little is it's not a kevin williamson script right yeah you're right uh he just uh i think he came up with the story and then aaron kruger <sighs> coincidence i think not no i think much like you know the backstory of scream 3 there's like some unsaid nepotism or something that's going on like yeah Wes Craven owed the Kruger family after besmirching them with Freddy yes, yes. they're like fine I'll that's uh, right because there was Fred Kruger was the guy he based Freddy Kruger on from his childhood right a boy yeah. Aaron's dad yeah Fred uh, and I know not personally know Aaron Kruger that's his name right Aaron E-H-R-E-N I think so yeah uh, he's written other stuff and I, I just I know people rewrite stuff so you can't really attribute everything to one per- but I don't like the scripts and what he brought to Scream 3 uh, isn't I wish we had our Kevin Williamson baby I read that he provided an outline which Aaron Kruger threw out and then well that was- makes sense because I think the like outline like the story itself is pretty good like going I, to yeah. Hollywood and I I really liked that whole the best right movie yeah like parallel line in the, this when they walked into the stage and you saw the Woodsboro set like I saw it on opening night yeah. I remember when I saw that I was like oh my god this is so effing cool and interacting with their own characters I yep. just loved and I was kind of going like wait a minute this movie's not bad then you get to the reveal and it does take away a bit like that was a pretty lame reveal at the end and yeah, that, it really it, knocked it down for me but I otherwise like you said like yeah maybe it's lower than two but you know, it's still pretty get decent. his finger in the um, Billy if the reveal didn't involve that killer going back into the first one yeah. it would be pretty cool like it would be yeah. 100 I like it a lot but I don't like that part where it's like trying to, I went in and I convinced Billy to, it's like, I guess for me, it was too much that he did all that. Plus he just was the, happened to be the director on this film. I know that wasn't coincidence. He found himself there, but it just was a lot of convergence, but it did make me think that as we get into part two and three with this, because Scream has such gravity and horror canon. And I think I was, like I said, I brought a lot of baggage to it. So I, I keep thinking, I know how everybody reveres this film. So why don't I love it as much as everybody else? I really like it, but it's because I'm, I'm seeing, I saw it all for the hype and the baggage first, not just Mm. as the movie it is. And when you get into two and three, and like I said, last time, I think you really realize these are just fun whodunits. Yeah. A series of Agatha Christie's or Sherlock's. Why not just have some fun with it? Those things are never successful in their twists. I think. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, it is maybe like the best 
Hmm. Outside of the meta, they're talking about movie stuff. The best thing about the movies are the whodunits. I, it is a really fun way to keep going back to the sequel, but it does, as if a who, like you said, a who doesn't already kind of like stretch uh, credulity. Uh-huh. Is that the right word? Yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? I mean? Yeah. Uh, and then uh, that always is a bit of a stretch. And then the fact that that stretch keeps happening like five times now. Is I know. It's the diehard factor. How many times could this be happening to, yeah. They should have referenced that in the trilogy thing because this follows the same thing where the second one is just kind of coincidence and then third one goes back to the original to You're find right. its origins. Yeah, back to the origin of a uh, Gruber. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Die Hard 2, the, the thing that like was, you guys are just asking for too many coincidences yeah. is the Christmas of it all. If they just <laughs> not made it Christmas again. I know. <laughs> like, yeah, like, it still would have been a hard thing to buy. Absolutely. But, uh, but I did hear what's a Tarantino on a podcast say like about that stuff when people are kind of like, oh, couldn't have this been this instead of that way. It's like, uh, of course, a shark can eat people in the wintertime. But that wouldn't be a movie. Jaws yeah. wouldn't be a movie if it was just about the people he never ate but could have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. So if it happens in summertime, but that's, yeah. But, um, yeah. Uh, but it's interesting that Die Hard 3 goes to not only summertime, but like the dog days of summer. Yeah. Almost on purpose. Yeah, that pendulum had to, to swing on back. I love like, that movie. We love seeing John McClane deal with uh, unfriendly climate. Yeah. So let's make it yeah. hot. And right. he has a hangover, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, Bruce Willis like had that built in uh, in his contract. Yeah, before the script is even written, <laughs> it's just like just make sure in most of the scenes I'll have a hangover. Uh, here's the three things: I have to have a hangover. My character has to be an asshole, and he sometimes he can't think of what he's gonna say right away. <laughs> Write it in. Uh, 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 adding to the category of things, I really. Uh, like about Scream 3? Uh, hey, Parker Posey. She huh? is so good in this. Best part of the movie. Best part of yeah. the movie. I think for me, the best part of the franchise so far. Right on, man. I think she's so good in this. She's kind of perfect for the Scream franchise too because yeah. she's uh, obviously super talented and funny, but also hip. Yep. So it fits that, but also has like... Um, her quoi is like <sighs> sardonic and funny, um, snotty. Yeah. It's just it fits in perfect oh. with the the vibe of the screen movie. I adore her in this movie. Her delivery, everything. Oh, my lawyer <laughs> liked that. <laughs> She's so good, and she kind of reminds me of her character in Best in Show. In this, you know, just sort of uptight and yeah, but uh, same oh, year, I think. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that's so it's right. Like this kind of like, yeah, really. You're right. It is the same. It's like a really kind of um, tightly wound, neurotic. Yeah. I mean, like that. Um, Wes Craven isn't like seemingly not raining her in because there's parts at the end where she's like being funny and silly with like her fear about yeah. the killer. Like she's stretching out her hand to try to grab Courtney Cox's and stuff. <laughs> I know he's not raining her in. I Thank think God. like it reminds me of probably what he saw in Matthew Lillard where he's like, I just got to let these people go because yeah. they're probably 
maybe that's something screen two lacked. You know, I, I was mm-hmm. hit and miss with Lillard. I'm all in on Parker Posey for some reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know why her seems a little bit more somehow a little more real to me, but yeah, because I get it because she's an actor working in Hollywood. So she's kind of like dramatic. Yeah. Lillard, you're maybe it's difficult to be like, wow, this uh, junior in high school has chops. <laughs> I know. I read that Taya Leone was like the real tight runner-up for this role, that they didn't know who to go with for Parker Posey's role. And eventually they went with Parker Posey, I think, because she was just more of a, probably just had that gen as like, wow, which she certainly does. I mean, uh, Taya Leone's really funny um, in Flirty with Disaster and kind of a similar... Yeah. I mean, her, her thing is more like she's first presented as like efficient and then you find out she's like a fuck up yeah um but in flirty with disaster but the yeah the um thing too that's like uh great about the parker posey stuff too is like it is the most um inventive idea in the script too it's what you're talking about like oh a character meeting their real life counterpart so when they're like adversaries at first and then they decide to work together i'm just like this is a really cool bonkers thing and this not bonkers bad like i loved it i loved it because the motivations are clear that parker posey wants to shadow her first as like character research kind of but then if the killer wants to kill you they won't kill me or if they want to kill me they'll get the real thing and kill you and and courtney cox is like I can get in places with her. I can investigate more. I, yeah, right. So it first starts off as like self-preservation. She wants Gail to solve the case so yeah. she doesn't get murdered. But then it becomes this like funny, dogged admiration for Gail. Yes. So when it becomes like, don't you know who you're dealing with? You're talking to Gail Weathers here. like, yeah. uh, Or trying to talk up Gail to herself being like, you're, you're more than this. You're Gail Weathers. You know? yeah. Like, uh, it's really... Uh, Fantastic. And also just realizing like that could be its own like the hard way esque movie of like oh the real person, the person who's oh, that is the hard way that Michael J. Fox yeah. James Woods movie is yeah. the person um shadowing them for uh acting expertise. Right. But, yeah. Um but uh yeah, she's a... Uh, She's great. Oh, the other thing that, like, in terms of uh, not rating her that I thought was, like, really funny was <laughs> Dewey's driving, and he's on the phone, and she's trying to eavesdrop while do- do- it's near the end. And she's just giving, like, full-on, like, three-camera sketch comedy <laughs> reactions to what she's eavesdropping on. It's just, like, big mouth, big eyes, jaw-dropping. So funny. Crank to 11. I was so sad to see her die because I wanted to believe she was in the fourth one, you know? That was the one that got me the most in this one yeah. when I was watching it. Um, not near Randy levels, but... I was definitely, and and the fact that she didn't die definitively on screen made me hopeful that she was gonna. I know pop back up. Yeah, because am I right in that they do a lot of things where you don't see someone die, but to this point, am I right? Oh, so yeah, this one is really bloodless. I know that. Then that's probably why. But you think they're doing it so that you'll right pop back up but that never happens until roman in this movie right 
Because that was the first time you, I think you see someone dead, or am I wrong? Yeah, no. And Romans is weird because there's a moment when he goes down by himself and uh, uh, Jennifer Parker Posey, she's up on the steps and she's calling down to him. Nobody's watching Roman, but he gives I like ne- a performance that I never nobody put that would together. Be, like, uh, <laughs> when you rewatch it, you're like, wait, why is he like acting scared out here? Okay, that's hilarious. And that kind of, I know you could track this and find reasons for it, but this voice changer that I know you warned me like gets ridiculous and it mm-hmm. does. We're in diamonds are forever territory here. Um, What's the uh, diamond? It's the same. Just they can mimic anybody's voice with a machine. But this one is, is this voice changer like a store product that has this kind of character voice of the original scream? Like is the mask something uh, they bought at a store and is the voice changer something they bought at the store? Because at this point, why does anyone register this guy's voice anymore? Cause the, it wasn't on TV. It was just there for the original people on the phone true. and that sort of thing, you know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, oh God, you're making me, yeah. You're making me like wonder like, yeah, the ghost face voice and all this is like, so, yeah. Really so like it well, cotton gets that voice. Yeah. So this, I mean, with diamonds are forever. I can buy that probably more because it's probably like, well, this is in a universe with spy technology. Yeah. Who who possesses the voice? The bad guy, but then Q makes one as well. Yeah. Yeah. And even if Q never did it or it wasn't Bond's technology, I would just be like, well, Bond could make it probably. So I bet a bad guy could. Yeah. And th- this is one it. of the most ridiculous Bonds too. So it's oh, okay. at home in the movie. Yeah. I mean, it nearly drowned another wood sister. I can't imagine a more <laughs> devious movie. Very true. More Twice. diabolical. <laughs> what? Twice. In the same movie? Yeah, well, they threw her into a pool. I knew that high, one really yeah. weight to her. Because, no, that's the second one. Oh. So they throw her into a pool from high up. She didn't really quite, I think, know how much it was going to be. And then, yeah, they tied her to a cinder block and she couldn't get back up. It's the crazy. cinder blocks started sliding down to the deep end. Yeah. But this would have been pre Natalie Wood's death. So Oh, so it was a, a f- should have been a foretold. lesson. <laughs> uh, I've seen that sister confront Robert Wagner in a video in a restaurant. Have you seen that? No, but I know that she's been after I've met her before at a Bond convention. She was oh. very sweet, but then I started following her in the early days of Twitter and she would just tweet things like, no, Tuesday, silly. And like, um, it's probably a beef cut, you know, it just, just absolute non sequitur. She didn't know how to respond to people or, and I was adorable. I loved following her. I know. I love it when you, uh, uh, look at somebody's early tweets Yeah, and it'll be like the person added weird like they think yeah you have to at somebody to get a message out it'll be like yeah that sounds good yeah <laughs> and like everybody's first tweet is basically like well i'm guessing i'm gonna try out this twitter thing tweet <laughs> uh wait so how did we get talking about that lana wood diamonds river voice changer oh, voice, god yeah. you're good man you said you were tired but uh that uh, brain is sharp uh, uh, uh um i have a need for tab closure <laughs> the uh, Some guys have a need for speed. I have a need for <laughs> tab closure. I like need for tab closure because that rhymes. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, so I have I, a composure for tab closure. 
<laughs> I could. That's really good. I could buy spy world technology. Yeah, but this is in the screen world, and I didn't think about it. That's actually a good explanation. I mean, better than anything else that it's merchandise where they but you can set it one, to the. Do, but do you have to record? Because I'm not even sure that like they just this technology still doesn't exist. No, every human's voice is just available on this, or was the person sampling them over the phone? Oh, I guess they were because you hear Nev Campbell's echoed back to her instantly. So he like, I mean, they don't say this in the movie. No, I think later when I thought about it, I did think like maybe as a director he can, has his hands on. Like I'm going for like a remember those movies FX? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like an FX angle here. Like yeah. he has his <laughs> yes. capabilities. That, but the fact that it doesn't still it, No, the only explanation if I saw that on TV, I'd be like, that is a game changer for the universe. <laughs> I know. It's a deep fake, a voice deep fake 20 years ago. The only explanation they're giving is is indirect in that the old thing was like an analog solid state thing and this one's clearly digital and stainless steel so it's like we've entered the digital age i mean it did come out in the year 2000 yeah so oh that's was... right it's a y2k voice changer man everything's gonna change flying and the cars. fact that it survived y2k means it's really built to last it had to have been built after the millennium because we all shut down like this is there's bc ad and a2k <laughs> <laughs> oh to be living in the Great days of A2K. <laughs> uh, 2K's kind of been a pretty shitty century so far. Right? Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> might as well have had that computer bug shut down. Might have been better off. Probably if the computers went away, we certainly would have been better off. Because of all true. the misinformation and social media. That's that would have been a blessing. That would have been like a <laughs> cyberdyne early on was just like, you know what? We're going to cut ourselves off here. Like Cyberdyne yeah. having the self-awareness yes. that it had to cut itself off. That was like what Y2K would have been. You're right. Like what? what's the movie where someone knows they're responsible for to bring about the apocalypse and they kill themselves or something? It's like a recent. What is it? Well, they, they have, it's uh, like if you found out you were baby Hitler or something. And, basically. Or something like. Or John Connor finds out he was the Terminator. Yeah, but what? Oh, what is it? It's like a recent movie. Oh, man, it's not ringing any bells for me. Is it? Um, what am I thinking of? Not No Time to Die. Oh, I think I might be thinking of that. <laughs> what? I think I might be thinking of that. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. On a smaller scale. Really? Well, kind of. Oh, I was just being a silly goo. If you think about it. Yeah. I mean, that's a semi-spoiler. Yeah. You guys cool with semi-spoilers? <laughs> okay, uh, so <laughs> to, to close, com I have the composure for cl yeah, tab, closure. tab closure. The composure for closure. Getting back to the, the parallel casting of the parts. Yes. We know from screen two, and even screen one, as I mentioned, that Tori Spelling was playing Sydney in the Stab movies. She's not in this. It's Emily Mortimer, who I love. Mm -hmm. Another, God, I just love Emily Mortimer. Yeah. Um, do you think that they didn't follow through with Tori Spelling because it was like funny as a joke, but then you're like, well, now we got to really have Tori Spelling in this movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess so, because um, it's kind of a lot of work to have this kind of like... I mean, it helps make her a red herring or a suspect that she like won the Sydney contest. Yeah, I mean, I love Emily Mortimer, but I think I might have preferred the consistency and then having to follow through because you got—I mean, you already got Jenny McCarthy in there. Is fucking that's true. Mm-hmm. And Tori Spelling would soon be in Scary Movie too, in about a right. year and a half after that. That would have stopped that. But you yeah. got anti-vaxxer Jenny McCarthy who's done more harm to this world than any ghost-faced killer. Y2K could have stopped Jenny McCarthy oh, in, her, in her tracks. Jenny McCarthy's interesting because I think she is a very winning presence. I do too. I uh, agree. Uh, I think she's like a really funny actor. And when she's on screen, I'm like, oh, I get her appeal yeah. for people. Um uh, and she's in Mel Brook. I mean, Mel Gibson category for me of reprehensible personal uh, beliefs and actions. But I, they're winning on screen, on screen Christmas, knocking it out of the park. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I mean, like for me, my respect for her only went up after the anti back stuff. But, uh, <laughs> we, well, same for up. me with yeah. the Mel Gibson stuff. But we do that behind the uh, paywall at Patreon. Oh yeah, we get, we get yeah. into some deep anti back stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Just kidding, guys. Just We're kidding. Pro vax, both vaccine and ba- vaccine. Vaccines. So you and- stumbled. People know you're lying now. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> my eyes are darting back and forth. My lip keeps, or my tongue keeps darting out of my mouth. We're so pro vax that Paul and I just mixed up our own batch and put it in our veins. <laughs> we didn't want to bother with the like. But we can mix we want the batch. cool stuff. We wanted the like. We baked up artisanal. <laughs> COVID vaccines <laughs> that are made of aloe vera uh, bleach, Formula 409, and a little bit of uh, Bundaberg ginger beer. <laughs> Did I stop you in your composure to... No, uh, uh, for tab closure. Would you prefer Tori Spelling? I, I, I truly adore Emily Mortimer, so it's hard to say, but... Um, no, I would have liked Tori Spelling in there. Because yeah. there was kind of this, like, a bit of the sloppiness of, what is Stab 3 exactly exploring here? Because, like, when Nev Campbell's walking around set, she walks by a garage door death. I know, it does it's feel like, like they're remaking the first one. Wouldn't that have been in Stab 1? Because the house and everything. and yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, the fact that, like, um, Rand, the Randy character is still alive in That's Stab right. 3. Yeah. Which I would have liked. Yes. We can get to the Randy appearance later, which right. is maybe the... Yeah. It's a lower point for me than yeah. the voice changer. I read that they were going to either do that or have him had not died and be back. And I mean, I guess I still held out hope yeah. when Scream 3 was coming out that Randy was maybe still going to be alive. I so. guess the conceit would was that his family hid him away out of protection. Oh, really? That and was going to be... I guess what they... The Meeks said, we got to yeah. circle the wagons for Randy. Yeah. Um... I'm glad his sister traveled to Los Angeles 
to show them a tape and somehow got on that. And I love Heather Moderato. I wanted her yeah. to be in it more too. Yeah. But I did hear my predictions. Well, it's Randy's went sister. Can't you tell? Oh yes, I can. Did you hear that? Yes, I can. Line of yes. dialogue. It's Randy's. Sister. And what does that can't mean? They're two kind of quote nerdy looking people, so they must be related. That line is yeah is like can't you tell? what a mom would say in the back row behind you during <laughs> it's his sister can't you tell they're both nerds <laughs> yeah. oh i was the cheerleader can't you tell <laughs> no mom why are you wearing laundry again kirstie alley <laughs> wah goo goo wah <laughs> I went to a movie and I swear to God, Bruce Willis was sitting behind me in a baby bonnet, a leather jacket and a red t-shirt and Kirstie Alley was wearing lingerie. It was fucking crazy. Did I ever tell you I went to a, a Cinerama Dome screening of uh, 2001, like 10 years ago and uh, I was sitting there with some friends and then I heard this argument between like um, a mother and her son about like she started eating his popcorn or his nachos and he's like don't eat mine and she's like well i got it for you i think i could have a few bites and i turned around i was like a 40 year old man with his mom <laughs> this nerd we used to do this show at california adventure called the Department of Untapped Hilarity, or Duh, which was like a whose line is it anyway improv show on this outdoor stage. And this couple used to come, and it was this older lady and a man with wearing those large cataract sunglasses that go over your glasses. Yeah. Come to find out, he was her son. They would come every day together. Every day they come to Duh. Almost every day. We did it, I think, four days a week, so they would come... I don't know about the other yeah, three days. Yeah, no, I but, was like calling bullshit on it. I was more like, these people are awesome. Her name was Gloria. She somehow got my email, started emailing me, and like sending me riddles. I'm not joking about this. Wait, it gets better. And I am such a fucking puzzle sucker that I would start trying to solve them and I would send them back to her because I'm thinking like she's yeah 70 something. What's the harm? Yeah. And they have they uh, have metal detectors at Disneyland. You gonna bring a gun no, and shoot me? No, not at that point. They oh, didn't. Okay. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. Okay, so <laughs> she, she, I think, was starting to get this little like what I would hope was just a kind of maternal feeling for me, but she's also just hanging out with her middle-aged son the whole time. And there was something weird going on there. I don't know. And then I did a scene <laughs> on the drive to Disney. She was like, maybe today's the day Matt will be your daddy. I, just hold on. <laughs> just hold on. So I was doing an improv scene with my dear friend, Gail, and she and I played like, we're doing like, a little romantic improv scene. <laughs> and she wrote me an email, something like, I don't like seeing you commune with Gail that way on the stage. And, and oh. I was like, Oh, Oh, take, she came up to me then after that, after a show. And I was like, Hey, I was a little confused by that. And she's like, well, aren't you sending me messages from on stage? And I went, uh, no, no, I'm not. And she started putting her hand in her purse and she goes, I must be going crazy. 
And I like hunkered back in some kind of like football stance. Like, am I going to have to tackle this woman? What's coming oh, out of her purse? My. And then she pulled her hand out of her purse, empty handed. I'm sure it was nothing, but it flipped me out. And Oh my gosh. She's like, well, if I can't have you, no, no one will. Oh. She wore a denim dress every day. A denim dress? Yeah. You know, um, Disney is so great because it's just, it's about wholesomeness. It just wants to be wholesome. <laughs> like a pe- church though. Yeah. That the you people get all, are attracted yeah. to it, are attracted to the wholesomeness, but then there is some <gasps> repression or something that goes on. Hey, and I'm not above repression. I think it's, no. I do it. We all do it. It's Speak a- freely friend. Cause I, whatever you're about to say, I will <laughs> double down on. But then the way that it just like spews forth. It like is you, a, you see it when people get really upset about like, don't change Daisy Duck's bow. I know. <laughs> I love Disney as much as the next guy. Sure. I'm not shitting on it as a whole, but there is a culture around that place, both in like the fanatic annual pass holders and the people that work there. That is hardcore cultish. Yeah, it is. A, the, the religion thing is right because it does. It's kind of like. The attraction is probably there's a, a code of behavior that's attractive. It is. It's it's let's go to a place where I can have reinforcement that a fairy tale world exists and I don't have to deal with probably in many cases, you know, um difficult things or trauma, things that we all have, but yeah. and and it handles it the same way religion does. Not to tip an exclusive, but Amanda and I are working on a podcast about this very thing. Oh, right. Having on. both worked there. Yeah. Well, then it's funny. I mean, that's really cool, by the way. Because, uh, whatever, not to make too many uh, comparisons here, but it's like, it is in the heart of the ocean. Like, yeah. if somebody was doing some sort of, like, uh, sociological study, it's like, oh, there's also a lot of, like, there's a huge born again yeah. community surrounding Disneyland. Right? It's the birth of the Crystal Cathedral, like blocks away from there. It's, yeah, it's an interesting whole thing. It's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I've thought about it just like living in uh, Los Angeles that I get seduced by artifice all the time, and I like the artifice. Yeah. Um, but maybe it's like, uh, I don't know. But it's not necessarily like an artifice of like uh, that's ideological, right? It's more of a, for me. I I know what you mean. I have certain things I go to too, and their comforts, which I'm sure they are too, for Disney and religion. But there is a culture around those things that right. I don't find culture in the things. Culture scares me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean every kind of culture. I'm not talking. I'm not talking ethnic culture or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean culture that arises around fanaticism. Yeah. And now that's what's becoming popular culture is becoming the new religion in a weird way. Not to get too heady with this, but I was thinking yeah. about the other day that we can't agree on anything politically. But you know what? The only thing the world will agree on is no spoilers. <laughs> Left or right, people won't spoil. <laughs> no time to die, and especially not Marvel movies. <laughs> Yes. It's the only sacred institution left, and it's frightening. And this is coming from someone whose life is all about pop culture. I love pop culture, but now even I'm looking at it a little side-eyed know. now, you know? Well, and then uh, it's funny, the the parallel 
with uh, religion in terms of the no spoilers is religion offers the spoiler for you. It's like when yes. you die, you'll go to heaven. Yeah, that's like the reverse of no spoilers. That's right. It's like give me the spoiler and guarantee the spoiler. So it's is a reverse now, I guess. With the I know Spider-Man that's so movies. fascinating. It's like don't don't tell me the uh, how this ends. You're gonna start to get people upset, like when you go, like you know, Jesus died for your sins. What the fuck are you doing? I didn't know that. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like I've been, I started at the beginning of the Bible, <laughs> and you're telling me. I had one chapter left I was just in the book of Rebecca learning that three dung bits is the equal length of an oar for the ark or cubits or zagats or whatever it is we talked about it also a little bit too that like uh, whatever I would say uh, pop culture has probably always been to some degree, political. Yeah. That's how it hey. works. Hi, how are you? Hey, hi there. <laughs> Thank you. You can throw it there. That's good. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Have a nice day. Um, uh, postman came by, but it was, was the Kevin nope. Costner as the postman. It was. <laughs> I'm scared to read that letter, though. Uh, let's just say the end times are getting close. <laughs> that's yeah. what that's going to say. Yes. It's also going to say, uh, like in Screen 3, when you flip over the picture... I killed her. <laughs> okay. Pretty pretty weak. Yeah. That's, uh, without telling us who you are, that does doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah. If somebody if Agatha Christie wrote a thing where they came to the scene of the crime and there was a picture written on the back, I killed her. You'd be like, uh, Agatha? You might want to give a couple more weeks on this. Oh, oh but it was just good. <laughs> the thing I was gonna say was just a. Uh, uh, I get how that is. Yeah, it's probably always been the case, but it just it does feel more like the the soon as a a pop culture object comes out, it immediately becomes a political object or and, a backlash or yeah yeah. And yeah. I'm not a. I like that you could look at whatever Back to the Future, and you go. There's so much politics in this movie. Yeah. It's whack. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Like I like that same, type same, of discourse. Yeah. I just don't like it when it becomes a. Oh shit! If I like this, I'm right wing. No, or, like the, or if the... I speak out against this movie, then I'm right wing. Or it's just I don't I like agree. it. Like what the the Matrix got co opted so much so that Lana Wachowski had to basically seemingly make a movie. To undo that, the red pill. Thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. A, a movie so meta that it would be like sc- Scream would be like, "Whoa, this is too meta to <laughs> yeah. me." A movie I, I didn't even finish. Like I was, I, was, I haven't watched it, but I've heard it's uh, it verges on Wes Craven's new nightmare territory. I believe so, but I was just so many arbitrary decisions. I couldn't. I I was just like, I can't. I don't have the energy to follow it because I also couldn't remember any of the other sequels or anything. Like yeah. That. I gotta watch. The, you told me that you recently re- rewatched the first, yeah. right? And then uh, you haven't seen the other two. No, but as I mentioned, and I'm, I'm, I'm I actually feel embarrassed to say because it goes so much against the popular conception that I I found the first Matrix to be pretty silly. <laughs> like, yeah, you told me that it just way. like some of the ideas felt a little like dated and kind of unadvanced now. Because I also can't, and this is probably a fault of mine. I can't tell where the line between satire and just um cheesiness or like uh like kind of 
uh, what's the word like basic mm-hmm. philosophy, like kind of like pop oh. philosophy. I can't tell where that line is in, in matrix. And I, and I think it'd be really easy for people to just say, Oh, it's cause you're missing the line. And I might be, but I also think the movie's a little responsible for that. I can't mm-hmm. tell what they're being sincere with and what they're being satirical with. And mm-hmm. Maybe that's my problem with the movie or something. I don't know. That's That sounds so silly to no, say about The I, Matrix. I hear you. It's also funny to think about those movies in terms of the screen movies because the original and the sequels were not necessarily unfolding at the same time. Matrix was 99 and then those sequels were like 01, 02. Yeah. But the fact that this was 96 to 2000 just – you can kind of see like a similar thing where it's like, we know these things can become legacy franchises. So uh, let's try to think about that a little bit in the first, but more so in the second and then to the detriment of the third. Yeah. It seems to be like, and then that was around the time where Lord of the Rings came out. And then that seemed to be the big, for people, the big sterling example of this is how you make three movies you make them all at the same time and you plan everything out that's not necessarily what i feel i'm just like yeah. it's funny then that came out as the example while right these movies were sort of wrapping up but that that seems like the lesson to be learned is that the lord of the rings movies worked so well on the heels of that for the marvel movies have worked so well because they've yeah. been planned out the james bond recent run took a dip because they were going film to film star wars didn't plan out and you can see it you know i love obviously love those james bond movies but it's very clear that they were making things up as they went along and then um good takeover because i had no but with scream uh the uh i mean they're referencing godfather 3 and uh uh jedi that's I'm so glad you said that. No, no, go ahead. Oh, just that. uh, uh, Oh, in the third one, you find out something that you thought was the case wasn't the case. But But what is that in Jedi and Godfather? So I didn't know in Godfather. In Jedi, I thought it was that Luke and Leia are brother and sister. But you never... uh, You think that they're not. Yeah. You know, like... Okay, yeah. And I liked it because then you see Carrie Fisher in this movie and then you have a Jedi twist kind of at the end that they're brother and sister uh, i guess but you half or whatever it's not uh, like you're going through the whole trilogy going they are definitely not brother and sister it's less a i don't know right and you're also not going roman and cindy were never siblings either like yeah uh roman gets introduced in the third i guess he's saying like again it's kind of what the point that i don't like about it is like no no you thought it was just billy acting on this but it was um, right, he was he, yeah. pulling the strings. It was yeah, a Blofeld, like from from the new Bond thing. And in Godfather, the only yeah, thing I, I can think of Godfather in three one? is that a character who's new to the movie, who apparently has been around in the family all this time, of um, Eli Wallach's character, is a traitor. But he's never even mentioned in the first two movies, but has apparently been part of the family's Unless I'm missing something. Uh, no, I, I haven't watched Godfather 3 in a while. And that seems like, I mean, maybe it's just a s- 
sloppy reasoning as Godfather 3 Jedi and Scream 3 is. Maybe that's yeah. actually the thing that Boss was going to dislike. But boy, does this movie pertinent when you really think about, regardless of like whether it's a trilogy or not, but this is the season of franchises being revisited decades later, going back to the original and cutting out the stuff in between with Halloween, Bill and Ted's, Matrix, Scream is coming out again. Yeah. So much Star Wars. It's crazy how much they're doing it now. That's the new Yeah, thing. legacy sequels, they call yeah. them. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, which is... Yeah, can you imagine if legacy sequels were coming out in the 80s and we were seeing them as kids? Like, I, what, can you think I mean, of my equivalent of it just now, as I was saying, it was like more like when I'd go to grumpy old men and grumpier old men, it was like... I know Jack Lemon and Walter yeah, Matthau yeah. are a pair and a thing for people. And I'm sitting in the theater liking Grumpy Old Man. It Love was cracking it. me up. Loved it. But I was surrounded by people going like, oh, they're digging this because they have a history with these actors yeah. playing a kind of mismatched pair. Right. Um, or like the two Jakes. Is that, that's just a later sequel. Yeah. Uh, Harvey Keitel's that other Jake. Jack Nicholson's the other Jake. Yeah. They're the two Jakes. <laughs> great title. It is a great title. And every time I think about it, I'm like, I wish every movie just had two characters with the same name. A, a definite article and uh, a proper noun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Can't you do that, Hollywood? Um, the... Uh, Any other overall? Um, I don't think so. We can get into it. Cool. Uh, just two, just like broad category thoughts that don't necessarily fit with the movie, but help us, I think, look at it. <laughs> this is four months before a scary movie came out. Wow. So that's wild. Yeah. Made by the same company. So it was like, crazy. let's finish off the trilogy of the real thing before we do five spoof versions or four or five spoof versions. Um, it's right after the fall of 1999. This was spring of 2000. Fall of 1999, Wes Craven did Music of My Heart, the uh, uh, Meryl Streep music department high school movie oh, elementary school movie and i don't think i even heard of that movie Wes craven if there's one thing i don't like about him sometimes he seems to sometimes be a snob about horror movies and like i'm doing something more high-minded yeah. and i actually have always wanted to do something different and music of my heart was that it's like i won't he told the weinsteins i'm not going to direct screen three unless i get to make this passion project or a movie that I want to make. And so it's funny. Roman actually yes. says something in the line. He's like, I was supposed to make a classic love story yeah. in exchange for making the scary movie. Yeah. So it seems like that, but I think it would also explain why I'm so glad Parker Posey's there because she's bringing the verve and energy and like humor that none of the other characters are bringing. Right. And that Wes Craven isn't bringing. No. There's line readings in this. I won't point them out where it's like truly to take shit. Where you're just like, yeah. if they did one more take of that line, that person wouldn't have like kind of stumbled there. Yeah. And like, 
the energy between uh, uh, Dewey and uh, Gale is kind of non-existent. Their chemistry isn't there anymore. And just, yet they're featured so much. Yes. I read that uh, Nev Campbell was you know, still making Party 5. She was also doing an- another movie. Because she's featured so little. Yeah, she only had 20 days in her contract or something like that where she could work. Oh, wow. And so they had to, I think, background her a little or something. Um Remember, all my facts are... But it feels like internet. everybody, Wes Craven's there because he has to honor a commitment. Yeah. Uh, all the actors feel that way. Yeah. Um, Scream 4, actually, I like the energy because everybody seems to be have the awareness of like, oh, these Scream movies are awesome that it's we get to be a part of. later, too, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, after they realize some of the other stuff of their projects were... Yeah, everybody's like, oh, no, yeah, I'd always come back to there. It was like that tabloid show Courtney Cox did on FX. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Dirt. Dirt, right. Yeah. And then had she done Cougar Town yet? Ooh, it might have been right when the population was growing for Cougar Town. Yeah. Um, Oh, you know what I learned? This is more of a spoiler for next episode. Amanda auditioned for Scream 4. I auditioned for Scream 4. You did? Oh, my God. That's so funny that Amanda did, too, though. I wonder if we were there that same day. Maybe. Does she remember the part that she auditioned for? She thinks it's the Emma Watson part, but I looked at the cast, and there are so many young women roles in that movie. Mm -hmm. So, I I don't know. She wasn't fully sure. Um, do you want to hear what I auditioned yeah. for? The uh, Adam Brody as a part as the new like Dewey. Oh wow! Um, and Adam Brody's great, but I remember thinking like, he ain't David Arquette. He's not Dewey, and he ain't Paul Rust. That's the truth. I'm serious. <laughs> when you were watching the OC, you were like, <laughs> I wish Paul Rust. Was- I haven't met Paul Rust yet, but I'd like to see him in the OC. Is that the guy, Adam Brody? I think so. Yeah. 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 Oh man. Were you so thrilled to be auditioning for that? Just, it was cool. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but we can talk more about All that. Right. Teaser. Before. Yeah. And, and I want to know who Amanda. Yeah. I'll, I'll too. ask her. That's funny. Yeah. It did feel like it was cool because, uh, anybody in those screen movies, they do feel like, um, at least the first two are young up and coming yeah. like actors. So yeah. just being like, Oh, not, saying oh that means i'm a young up-and-coming actor it meant more like oh i'm getting to enter into the ritual of young actors go in and audition for screen movies to become young up-and-coming actors that's right uh which reminds me a little bit like i like emily mortimer too but the actors they cast to play for the actors in scream 3 i feel like those could have been some more it actors St- not stunt in a good way you mean yeah, yeah. it's more up and coming i know people. i'm surprised too and i looked on imdb and there were a ton of names thrown out there for all these roles that audition it's unclear if they say you know considered it's imdb yeah. trivia so but like even kate winslet i think was considered for, i can't remember which role i think for the opening the girlfriend of cotton but I was also reading that originally that was just a woman who was a corpse and he shows up and then they were just throwing lines at her, which makes you feel like that makes sense as why she's not really a known person. Cause you think they would have gone for the third sort of like this actress is too big a star and then gets killed. Yeah. They were doing that more with Lev Schreiber, but I also knew Lev Schreiber was dead the minute I saw he was wearing all white. 
Because it's just <laughs> like that the, blood is yeah, they're gonna to... pop that blood. <laughs> My prediction's going along now. I think that's what I'm enjoying about these movies is just the whodunit aspect of it all. Yeah. Immediately, my first thoughts were. Yeah, Patrick Dempsey and Emily Mortimer working together. Uh-huh. Completely wrong. Then I saw Heather, Heather Matarazza and I'm like, she's working with Patrick Dempsey because they started making any Emily Mortimer too much of a red herring. It was clear it wasn't going to be her. Right. I was surprised by it being Scott Foley, but not in a good way. Yeah. You know. And then I also it was funny that they were doing the sibling thing because they're also siblings on Party of Five. Wait, Scott Foley's in Party of Five? Isn't he? No, I just, I don't know... I'm not familiar with that actor whatsoever. And when the movie was over, I'm like, I'm going to find oh, out who. Maybe I'm over. wrong. No, you're 100% right because I have no knowledge. Uh, uh, um, that's funny that two fifths of the party of five are in Scream 3. <laughs> I don't know who. Add two parts. Of the actors of Party 5 plus Scream Oh, 3. no, he's Felicity. That's Who am I thinking of then? Who's the other guy? Oh, uh, Matthew No, not Fox. Matthew. He's the older brother. <laughs> um, oh, he, But he's kind of got the similar energy to Scott Foley. But it's, Scott Foley is right in the um, – in that they're casting these people from TV. Yeah. Like Patrick Warburton being there. Uh, as uh, uh, Jennifer's security guard, and they're like walking yeah. along, and it's like Parker Posey, Patrick Warburton, and Courtney Cox. And I'm like, that's two thirds of a musty TV. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like these casting people could be pretty. Uh... Scott Wolf. Wait, oh, Scott Wolf was the other. Party yeah. Of, yes. Lacey Chabert, Matthew Fox, and Jennifer Love Hewitt. That is it. Cast, yeah, but wasn't I think Jennifer Love Hewitt wasn't she like the girlfriend or the wife of Matthew Fox because the parents die? Oh, yeah, well, I forgot to mention this, but I think there's a scene, and I know what you did last summer that's very similar to the stuck in the back of the cop car scene in Scream 2. The fact that Kevin Williamson wrote both uh, and they came out within the same like month of each other, I remember. My friends and I'd be like, wait, was that similar? Do you I think have he to just had that check. as a bag of tricks and he just like pulled it and he's like, ah, oh, that's too good. And yep. I wonder. Or like he wrote it for I Know What You Did Last Summer and then thought that was gone and then wrote Scream 2. And I was like, well, I'll just use this really cool cough card. I got to check. Yeah. I, I um, But uh, that was the only uh, – oh, oh, oh. And then the MPAA uh, – really cracking down post Columbine. Yeah. So a lot of the, um, deaths are more bloodless. Yeah. Um, this wasn't intentional. It was just like a funny thing, but if these movies are like meta things about horror movies, um, like it is similar to what happened with slasher movies towards the end, like Friday the 13th parts, five through eight are so bloodless because the MPAA really, I mean, they were already cracking down after the first one, but then there was like no gore or hardly any gore in those movies. And then the fact that they kind of introduced this like Sydney scene, maybe super like she's having visions and stuff. It almost seems like a meta comment on like, that's what Nightmare on Elm Street was. Like eventually they had to start bringing in these uh, kind of like, cause those sequences feel very Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. When she like falls asleep 
And then she wakes up and her mom is in white walking like through the fog and yeah. shows up in a bloody body bag right. like Nancy's friend in the first night. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so just having those kind of like latter day slasher things showing up in Scream 3, it's just, I'm sure, accidental, but it's a fun thing to... Maybe. Um, it's maybe a little bit of going back to the well. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, just jumping in, you mentioned the cotton all in white, all white cotton. Yeah, 100% cotton. That's 100%, pretty funny. It is so funny. And it's funny that you don't see the show until after he says you're a 100% cotton fan. Yeah. So you think he's maybe just such a douchebag. <laughs> like that's how he like refers to his fans. Well, he go, she goes... He goes, yeah, you're 100% cotton. She goes, I'm 110% cotton. And his reaction is so sincere. He goes, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say sitting in the theater opening night for Scream 3, when it opened on Liev Schreiber and I realized he's the person who's going to be the, I was like, they're getting it wrong. Yeah. I already know. I knew. Yeah. Kevin Williamson didn't write this before I saw it. Uh, I knew that behind the scenes. So I was looking for chinks in the armor. And when it opened with Liev Schreiber, I was like, but he's not a new character played by right. a known actor who's going to be. And maybe that's like, oh, they are doing unexpected things. It is Liev Schreiber from the first. But I think that's what they were doing because I think they're thinking there's no way you can do that again. And in a way, I get it. Like, if you just bring in Kate Winslet to play that part, you're like, well, she's going to die. If it was Kate Winslet, she's Leah Schreiber's girlfriend. And you don't see any cotton for the first 10 minutes of the movie. You just think this is like a, oh, they're just doing the Drew Barrymore thing again with Kate Winslet. But then cotton comes in and you realize like, oh, this is related. Cotton is a you know, at least a part of this. It just felt like a weird... I know. it, And also it's not... It is the least scary situation of all three, which yes. is like getting a phone call stuck in traffic isn't an isolating scary no. experience like the first scream. I guess they reshot this thing over and over. Oh, really? This scene. And like I said, she was originally just a corpse. He found her. And then they had to throw, they threw a bunch of lines at her. They had to reshoot some of his stuff out on the traffic. And yeah, it sounds like this thing was being written on the fly quite a bit. And then when you hear that, I'm actually surprised it's as good as it is. Yeah. Because I was thinking, how are they going to do another connection to the world scream and make it feel like a reason for these characters to come back together? Like I couldn't think of how they're going to do it. And then visiting the set of the movie was the best thing this movie came up with. It really works. Yeah, none of them feel too sweaty, right? Because it's like Dewey's there to be a technical advisor. Yeah. Gail's there because she goes where the story is and and then she wants to help him be a detective. And then, yeah, Sydney can't help but get like pulled into it. That's I'm so curious where four and five, like how are you going to get more killers that could they possibly be satisfying? Because it's really been two and three have not been satisfying reveals for me. Mm-hmm. Not that I care, but yeah, I'm just so curious. I'm so curious. I have no idea what direction they're going to go in. It's funny watching the, these three and then soon four, um, noticing patterns of how they deal with the actual killer. I'm excited to watch screen five with that stuff in my brain. Cause mm-hmm. like as soon as the first kill happens, it cuts to a scene 
Roman has his back to the camera, so it's not like a clear on him. But he does say like, uh, we can't stop this movie. These murders, uh, we're not going to stop shooting stab three because of these kills. Right. And it is such a, it's a, um, similar to the Billy, um, Loomis and Lillard exchange in the first one where you're like, Oh, if you're paying attention, the uh, fact that after the first kill, the, that killer is the guy most like saying, trying to throw people off. Yeah. Um, it does make me go like, oh, I guess I'll pay attention and scream five to see. Yeah, um, who's who? Does. But I don't, I'm not going to be able to predict them. I haven't predicted any of these from the first scream. So I predicted Laurie Metcalf, but I didn't predict Mickey, and I certainly didn't predict these last two. Yeah, or this last one. Sorry. Yeah, I I was expecting it to be a double again. Oh yes, uh, a duo. Right. Well, especially because there's a part when she gets attacked on the set at the house of the Woodsboro house where she goes into the house and he jumps out behind her, or it almost seemed like it certainly had to be a second person. Cause it was like, yeah. it could be misremembering it, but she sees him like in the front yard, then goes in the house and then he's in the closet behind her. I was like, oh. right. Uh, I guess they shot three separate endings for this just whoa. so there would be no leak. Only did a press screening two days before and no test screenings. Cause they didn't want to leak. And then they shot three endings that it was like the thing where we're only ever going to use one. We're just shooting. But even two. the actors didn't know. Oh, and I, I guess Scott Foley, too, has said on an interview that he was two weeks into shooting and Wes Craven's assistant comes up and is like, isn't it so cool? You're the killer and scream. And he's like, he didn't even know yet. Oh. I guess for an actor, I would be like half bothered, half grateful for that. Like, I would be bothered because it would be like. Well, then let me insert. I wish I would have yeah. known that because in scenes I would have infused that. Yeah. But at the same time, it would have been like, well, maybe it was good. I didn't know because in the scene, I'm not tipping my hand. Yeah, no telegraphing. Yeah, telegraphing, right, right. Yeah. right. Um, but the, um, yeah, uh, you see him stuck on that Hollywood Bowl exit that we're familiar with out of the 101. Yeah, it was cool to have this one in LA. Wait, where was the second one? Uh, at their college. That's right. Um, they never say what state that's in? No, but they... Randy later mentioned Windsor. He, Windsor College is the name of the college. Okay. So wherever Windsor College yeah, is. Yeah, and wherever Woodboro is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and wherever Hollywood is. Well, what do you think of the... I love uh, that helicopter shot of the Hollywood sign, and it's like going behind yeah. Hollywood. Very meta. <laughs> um, and if you are jonesing for a, if you wish Kevin Williamson had written Screen 3, you should check out Cursed, which takes place in Hollywood and actually takes place at the Wax Museum across the street from the Ripley's Believe It or Not that you see in the background yeah. of uh cotton shots here but it's a, a werewolf movie that takes place in hollywood and in the entertainment industry that. when did that come out 2005 and it got same story as scream uh or as some of these scream sequels got reshot re-edited yeah. a whole bunch by the time it came out there's a whole plot point where christina ricci works at craig kilborn show and when it came out craig kilborn show wasn't even on the air anymore oh my God. but i saw cursed when it came out in theaters i was like so stoked i'm like our craven and williamson is back baby and it does seem like he wanted to write scream three and so now 
he gets to with Curse because it takes place in the inter- entertainment industry. Uh, interesting. Stuff. But um, it's with Jesse Eisenberg and Christina Ricci. Huh. Um, not on my radar. Not very yeah. good. But Rob... Um, uh, Zombie? No, Chachi. Scott Chachi. Bayo? Scott Bayo. Oh, yeah. Which like, is oh, another Happy Days... Henry oh, yeah. Winkler in the first one connection. Oh. Stuff. But um, uh, the other thing, yeah, Cotton All Decked White talking to his agent about a Navy SEAL script. I know. That's in. pretty great. <laughs> um, um, now, it did seem like that was um, a lot of these kills also have the kind of latter day slasher stuff where you know in the early slasher movies it's likable characters uh, and then it becomes unlikable characters start getting killed i noticed that with this like cotton comes off as a pretty big prick in this yeah unsympathetic and then jenny mccarthy jenny mccarthy and then patrick warburg is like up and he teases dewey about his sister being dead before he's killed i know it's pretty rough i don't know why they always go to that it's such a weird thing that yeah i also thought i didn't know if it was like a mpaa thing of like it lessens the impact of violence if you Uh, dislike the person but it's weird when ghostface itself hasn't become a character like Jason or Michael, because also we also oh. know it's different people every time. Yes. And maybe it's, it's more that just keep our core characters likable and everybody else has to be unlikable kind of. So Dewey, Gail and Sydney always come out pretty unscathed in terms of, yeah. yeah I mean, their likability. Gail's rides the fence. She looked like Lois Lane in this so much in this one. Those outfits were crazy. Yeah, and she's more Courtney Cox in this than Gail. I can't yeah. really recognize Gail Weathers anymore in no, her I performance. No, I know. It's true. It, it just seems like how Courtney Cox looked and acted yeah. in 2000 is what you're going to get in this. I read, sorry to keep saying I read, nope. but that David R. Cox was like, you should cut your hair like Betty Page, and she did it, and that's why her hair is like this. It has nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> was 2000 probably when Betty Page was at peak resurgence? Maybe, because was, there was like an HBO movie too with um, uh-huh. Gretchen Maul, I think, played her. Right, yeah. right. Um, and also just that kind of like retro rap pack renaissance kind of yeah. thing that was happening. To- but Betty Page had like full bangs. These are like more like Frankenstein oh. bangs. <laughs> I'm sorry, but they are. She just had a really flat head and two bolts coming out of her neck. <laughs> He's I like, got... Betty Page had bolts in her neck. I don't know. Hey, could you put on this green? Uh, it's just kind of like base coating. It's the newest rage by Ramblon. <laughs> what? I don't know. I'm tired. Can we take a stream break? Oh, of course. We'll stream be right back. With and Ryan. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. With Paulie and Rust. And we're back. You're listening to 100% Cotton with Mucho and the Scooch. That looked like a, a sort of a um, like a Jerry Springer type show. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, or like who knows? Like who's the guy Tom Likas? These def- people flash people. Do you know about that? Yeah, Tom Likas is a real uh, puke. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good term. <laughs> um, now, uh, after that um, opening. Uh, oh, just a couple of things. Uh, when they go by the Pantages on the marquee, marquee is a uh, the movie The Source, which is a documentary about the Beats Beat Generation. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> um, uh, I did think it was a- weird that Cotton's girlfriend says something like, "I don't like your stab games." Yeah, I wrote that too. S- stab games. So they do like what? a weird little kinky. Is that role play? Yeah. yeah. What? And now he's taking it too far. But then it's funny because I thought she meant, sorry, like you scare me a lot as a joke referencing the movie stab. Yeah. I think that was maybe it. Like you like to play these tricks, but then it's funny when Ghostface is pretending to be cotton. He references the games. He's like, I just wanted to make push it more with the game. And maybe it's because she just said the game, so he's running with that. But it's very, uh, very strange and (laughs) doesn't seem like thought out. Uh, Also, when he gets thrown down uh, at some point, you can see a video shelf and it's all um, Miramax movies. Uh, There's Chasing Amy. Okay. The Paul Bearer. I saw that on a plane once. Did you uh, walk out? (laughs) I did and I died. And uh, Rob, Rounders. <laughs> Did you walk out? That's an old joke, though. I'm sorry. I've never heard it. Uh, That's really funny. <laughs> that movie was so bad, they showed it as the in-flight movie, and people walked out. <laughs> That's a classic for a reason. Got me. <laughs> I'm glad I'm continuing its tradition here on our podcast. Um, um, also, when he kills her, Ghostface kills uh, Cotton. He's like, this is what you get for not telling me where Sydney lived. I was like, did you ever really give him an opportunity? Yeah. I feel like that wasn't ever. Cotton was like, so okay, okay, I'll tell you. Motivation is to get to Sydney. Because he's killing people in the order of the script for Stab 3, which Sydney doesn't ever presumably get killed in. So why is he trying to. Right. Why is Cotton being killed just because he wouldn't give him the info? Uh, yes, and also I guess it's in the order that the people are dying in Stab Three. They later say too. So. And he, but is he dying? And I guess because he shot a cameo in it, so maybe that's right. 
is I'm giving the movie credit yeah. to say that he must die in that movie first. But what about the girlfriend of Cotton? She should. Yeah, you're right. I mean, maybe she's in the movie too. Maybe in Stab Three, Cotton's cameo has a girlfriend who yeah. also dies. Um, and you're making me realize Jenny McCarthy later makes a meta joke of like, I'm the second person, no, second chick to die. Oh. And so I guess she is still the second chick to okay. die. Um, but uh, yeah. And then um, we do meet up with Sydney. She gets that great late 90s, early oddies, sad, angelic choir. Yeah. And the sunlit kind of yeah out with the dog i most associate that though with gladiator i think is the like (laughs) like i haven't seen that movie probably since it came out i think i've said this on the pod before but it was marred by um just i had my heart shattered in high school (sighs) and then my friends and i went to applebee's before seeing Gladiator and I bumped into my ex at Gladiator at, at Applebee's and that colored the whole experience yeah. you know when you're like heartbroken and oh, I'm like, yeah. I was watching like Gladiator and he's like fighting to avenge his wife's death or something and I'm like I wish I had somebody's death to avenge <laughs> it's so crazy the leaps you'll take on that kind of thing Rosemary's Baby which should be like a traumatizing movie to watch or, or horrifying. I had just made out with somebody the night before and I was so blissed out. I was like, <laughs> maybe I will have a scene child with this girl. <laughs> this is by no means a leap. Cause it's a like beautiful love story, but I went through this horrible breakup and then saw broke back mountain. It was just like tears because all I could think about was my was ex. Lost. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, you were doing what, uh, gays and lesbians have had to do since exactly. the dawn of cinema, which is like I will move my feelings to a heterosexual couple on screen exactly. in order to connect. Yeah, um, that's funny. The, uh, um, I didn't mention this when we saw when we talked about Scream Two, but it, that it came out around Titanic. So when I saw Titanic, you know the movie climax is in the sacrifice for love. By dying in frigid water. Yeah. So I, my girlfriend and I, we went and saw Titanic and uh, we exchanged Christmas presents beforehand. And, uh, oh my God. Just a really romantic night. I was 16 and uh, we got out of the movie and it was so cool because we went to like a 10 o'clock showing. We're breaking curfew to <gasps> see. We're getting out at like 1 a.m. Um and real bonnie and clyde yes (laughs) (laughs) and it's all it snowed while we were out so all the cars are just like Mm. that are still there at 1 a.m are like encased in snow and um i drove so i had to like scrape yeah the snow off my windshield and brush it off and all that this is something as a california native i had never had any familiarity with until i saw fargo and then you, that's the yeah. scene when he's trying to get that ice yeah. off and he can't, uh, everybody wishes they could flip out like yeah. H Macy does in that scene. H but, Macy. <laughs> <laughs> but I looked over at another car and the car was warmed up and a woman was 
getting the ice off the windshield and brushing off the snow while her boyfriend or husband sat in the oh passenger seat warm. I was like, did you learn nothing from Titanic? Oh my God. <laughs> Leo would be out there busting his ass getting that ice off the windshield. He would sleep where, out there. Yeah, he would die if need be. He I, would say, I can't get this off. You go in the car and warm up. I'll sleep out here and die. <laughs> I freeze to death. Even though there's room for both. Ooh, that would have been like if this was Kate, if she had done Scream 3 and it was the first movie she had done after Titanic, imagine it would have been like, so we didn't get to see her die in Titanic, but we get to see her die at the very beginning of Scream 3. My phone does not want to stay on this rocking chair. I know, that's funny. <laughs> um, um, anyway, so then... Uh, uh, Sydney goes inside <laughs> we learn she's a crisis counselor. Yeah, and she's using that weird 911 computer that she used in the first one. Someone wrote that they thought that that was like a deaf, like a help, helpful for people that are deaf, that that's how you- Oh, in the first one? Make calls, like the transcription of it. Was it the second but, one or the first one? Yeah, in the first one. But mm. she's not deaf, though. No, I know. <laughs> I know. But I think there was some reason why in the first one, but they cut it out. or I can't remember. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, it is funny then that the third, she ends up working in the line of work that uses that technology. And she's also using the first of her iMacs, which I had one of those. <gasps> Wait, the the colored ones? Yeah. That look like candy? Yeah. So the first PC I ever had, the iMac Performa PC, was in one of these movies. And then the first <gasps> iMac I ever had, too. And I think the same color I think I had. What color was it? It was like teal. Or no, I got the, I got the gray one, I think forget our schools had those and it was like a big deal i think when they were like given or something oh yeah and god they looked beautiful the design um i think the mouse was round yep yeah yeah um so i didn't notice she had that she was uh on the cutting edge yeah oh yeah how long did you have that baby that was my second i got my first performer pc in 96 i was a second year grad student I wrote my thesis on it when it was like unheard of that someone would write their own thesis, like type their own thesis. Do you know you used to have to pay a typist to type your thesis? Cause there are so many style and formatting things on there. And oh my I, I was gosh. Like, I'm not going to pay. Cause it was like, I want to say it was going to be like $150. And at the time I'm like, are you kidding? I can't, I can't do that. I, I've got a computer. This is like, I can do all this. I just had to read really clearly how to do it. And I did. Oh and nobody balk. I also think no one read my thesis. Well, if nobody read it, can we hear what it was? It is the most boring. In fact, when I got it, you get it bound and it goes in the library at the college. It's still there at Cal State Long oh. Beach. But I started reading my own thesis and fell immediately asleep. <laughs> the title of my thesis is Biagio Bonacorsi is Counter Machiavellianism to Niccolo, Niccolo Machiavelli in Robert Cohen's The Prince. <laughs> this is not a topic that I wanted to write. I wanted to... <laughs> I wanted, Why don't you do a podcast on that, man? Oh, God. In my grad program, it was a three-year acting conservatory, so you had to write a thesis on one of the roles you play in the second half. And in oh. the right on the edge of the halfway mark, I played uh, an updated musical version of a Moliere play, but it was done like Marx Brothers style, and I wanted to write on that. Oh, but you missed comedy. the cut off. Yeah, and so there's this play... And I played like there's just the best friend of Machiavelli in this play called The Prince, and it like I couldn't have been less interested. And, and it is so boring. Oh, 
It's too bad they just wouldn't let you choose the one that you feel most passionate about. I mean, the whole about. thing was a sham. The whole grad program was a sham. It was run, I'm sure I've mentioned this guy that ran it who plagiarized from Calvin and Hobbes. He would force us to do his plays and he was a known plagiarist, got run off to like, had to go teach in China. He was the chair of the department. It was oh my god! Amazing, yeah. I was thinking about it in um, academic writing and stuff. A lot of times they have to take up somebody else's argument and say they're wrong here. Hmm. Right? That's a little bit how you formulate the argument. It's like some people say this. Yeah. I agree with them except for these parts. Yeah. Or I disagree with this person. This is the reason why. I think that's more of a scientific thesis or – or a philosophical thesis where ours was just, you have to find something about a role you did and defend it. Okay. So, okay. Like I was arguing that my character represented the theme of anti-Machiavellianism. Like he, he was kindness and caring, which, but also it was like, okay, you don't, yeah. Uh, there was no problem believing that it wasn't like it needed, uh, whatever it was, a hundred page, book to like firmly uh, no i right. am drawing a line in the sand there is no one who has ever gone to the cal state universe long beach library and gone i need to find the answer to this burning question it or, is so or, or like perfunctory yeah. somebody was like you know that character was so pro machiavelli <laughs> and i will read nothing that will change my point of view <laughs> what Hmm, maybe maybe Mr. Gourley has a point. Such bullshit. It was oh, but anyway, I wrote it. I typed it myself and turned it in and saved that money. And everybody in the department was like, you could do that. Because you used to have to hire a person to literally That's type it. It's crazy. Amazing. This is 96. So like, by the mid-90s, people were still like paying typists. Yes. Holy cow. And then that was my second Mac. And then I think after that I got what well, iMac, it wasn't the one with the big round base and the t like telescoping <laughs> screen. I think I then got the big white all in one. Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure it was that yeah. one. And then the rest is history. You know. Yeah, then after that, That's it was basically uh, what we're still dealing with today. But even, yeah, I guess in the mid to late 90s, um, Mac was a. Uh, Outra, Utra? How do you pronounce yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were, yeah, Utra. they were. Um, I think they even had the a mainstream. Mac called the Utra in the nineties. The who did the Apple Utra? For real? No, I'm kidding. Oh my god! <laughs> that Jobs movie. There's a fourth part, and it's him presenting the Utra. Did you ever see that? The um, the Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, brother, I watched be the Ricardos. Oh, what do you think? Uh, yeah, it's so annoying. <laughs> uh, I, I had to immediately put on I Love Lucy as a palate cleanser. That's good. Oh, and the, um. And wash your eyes out. T yeah. The TM's, uh, TCM plot thickens, you know how they did the Devil's Candy? Yeah. They're doing a Lucille Ball I one. I saw that. I haven't watched it. I've been listening to it. Is it good? Yeah, it is good. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was parts where I was like, uh, and look, I'm not a automatic Sorkin hater. No, There's times where I'm like, oh, I wish there were more writing where people all talked so intelligent. Yeah, like, that's there's a time cool. and a place yeah, for yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so there were parts that I liked about it. It was just like, um, 
the stuff that was so bad was so bad. And there was like, we all know Aaron Sorkin likes to editorialize through characters and stuff, yeah. but there was one that was so egregious where like J.K. Simmons is saying like, listen, listen, Rick, he's talking to Lucy. He's like, Ricky, he comes from a, another time, a culture where you sleep with different women and not for nothing, but the women seem to be okay with it too. Yeah. And I was like, why is Aaron yeah. Sorkin giving his eighth date with a woman conversation <laughs> where he's like, you know, actually in some cultures, the women know men fool around and they like it. Still fighting that line, huh? And still trying to, to stay on that. So side. much so that he's squeezing it into minute 80 of being the Ricardos where it has no place. But didn't she seem like some kind of savant Sherlock Holmes where she'd just stand off in the periphery of a conversation and then have one line and the magic was solved. Yeah, the like, mystery was solved. Oh, I guess she's like every central character in an Aaron Sorkin yeah. uh, project. Yeah. It's just like, it really sands down what's interesting about her when Maybe if I just watched that alone and I didn't know Aaron Sorkin wrote other stuff. Yeah. But when you're just like, oh, she's a a formula that he's fitting into. It really sands down anything that you could find unique or interesting or singular about her. Just Um, joyless. Yeah. But you're right. That's sort of like Sherlock Holmes standing outside beautiful mind style doing the formula that'd be like aha um but it was such base it wasn't even like the vitamita vegemin segment or anything it was just fred and ethel on a stool and nah oh i was so worried it was just going to be her going like don't have your backs to the audience but that was one of the things that she had to figure out i'm like i'm pretty sure people knew that you don't put your backs on the fourth wall of characters even this hack director she hated could have figured all this stuff out it was it also just speaks to how Aaron Sorkin views his place in the world um, uh, and such a misunderstanding of comedy collaboration as opposed to drama collaboration. Because all my experiences on a set doing comedy is the joy is that everybody's working together to make something work. And sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. But that's what's the flavor. That's like the fun. Yeah. And... Yeah, this just seemed like this dude's never been in a sitcom writer's room. He's making it seem like there's only one author and it all comes down from the yeah, Sorkin. It's like, we're so lucky to have Sorkin's brain leaking juices all over us <laughs> idiots. It felt like a war room, like they're like planning a mission or something and not in a good way, you know. And he's been crowing too about like, I don't do the conventional biopics of the greatest hits and like you found a way to do that yeah to disguise it too yeah and this five days of things they have flashbacks about funny scenes and i love lucy or flash forwards about how she's going to maybe do the we're spending scream three talking about being the ricardos i'm sorry guys but this is everything we just talk movies here too sometimes you know well on that note and we'll i have got closure for composure anyway <laughs> i finally saw licorice pizza and the fact that lucy's in that too i had no idea and it's the season of lucy it is the season of yeah. lucy and to bring it to the licorice pizza i recently got to see some fresh uh, uh revisit some parker posey because after i watched the great licorice pizza i was like 
I'm going to watch the great Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm. I'm going to watch the great Dazed and Confused. And uh, Parker Posey popped up in there. I've never seen Dazed and Confused. Oh, if you love your Posey. Yeah, I love my Posey. I think that's the first time I saw Posey was in Dazed and Confused. And she's a a standout. Um, But what I like about uh, uh, high school comedies, comedies about adolescence, I realized, is... um, the humor doesn't ever have to get too sweaty. Sometimes what can be super funny in a scene is just the recreation of something you observed and know. Yeah. And something familiar. Yeah. But that doesn't seem to like people don't like that with grownups. It like bothers people to be like, yeah, I do do that. Fuck you. (laughs) But like we have a fondness for like, oh, the behavior quirks of high schoolers. Like, I remember once I went to like a publicity thing. It was built for Netflix just to promote their own shows in New York. And I went to it and was getting interviewed with like five other people for five other shows for love. And the first question the moderator said to me was like, um, it wasn't even a question. He was like, your show calls itself a comedy, but there's no jokes. I was like, you know, you're supposed to be here to help promote shows and make us look good. I'm, you're saying that we're a comedy with no jokes. And I remember like, I'm still like stewing on that. Also just, uh, and what bothered me about it was not a comedy make. Yeah. This idea that jokes are the only entry point to come to laughing with a comedy. It, like, it's like saying like, you don't have a laugh track on love. So how, how's it, do I know it's a comedy? <laughs> how do we know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, to bring it back, I guess to that, they're on the set of the Radford lot or yeah. they're on the CBS Radford The entrance. Lot. Yeah. I noticed that too. Yeah. Um, uh, and so when they're on that set with like the, the fake city street, that's like the Seinfeld city street. Oh, really yeah oh wow uh and uh i've never i shot one tiny scene in a studio lot in a stage at um radford but there's so many things that have been shot there that are like legendary yeah even just in the 90s it was like roseanne seinfeld robert radford robert radford (laughs) (laughs) the private files of robert radford (laughs) Uh, have you the ever Radford Files? Have you ever shot anything on that? No, but Amanda did a eight episodes of a sitcom that never aired. Like she was a regular, and that shot there. Whoa! So I went to see it and hung out. Yeah, it well, was with um, Christopher Mintz Platts, McLovin, and Greg the Egg from Succession, Nick Braun. Oh, was this Please Like Me? Or it was, was called it? Friend Me. Friend Me. Yeah, and it was kind of like a. Uh, like Big Bang sister show kind of thing where she was the, you know, girl neighbor, very, very similarly cast in the same mold. Uh, yeah. I remember I auditioned for friend me. Oh, and how did, funny. Yeah. Me and uh, Amanda were in the yeah. same circles. I think like 10 years ago, casting wise, uh, like auditions wise and stuff. But the, um, uh, it didn't air. Cause like the creator died or something. Yeah, it's a dark story. The showrunner committed suicide and they had to scramble. I think they took like a week off and they had to like 
his partner took over and they continued shooting the show for six or eight episodes. And like Dr. Phil was a guest star on one, Robert Forster, uh, who, by the way, was so nice and gave them all the cast all gifts after his one episode, which was a silver letter opener. And then I ran into a friend who worked on a show with him too, who got the same gift. And I think he just had hundreds of those in a room somewhere. And when he would work on something, he'd bring everyone a silver what letter a opener. Act, I know, but yeah. And then they wrapped them and it just, I think the network was like, even though it had been greenlit and just buried it. So it's, they've never aired. And so the episodes never, never even saw the light of day. No. Wow. It wasn't like a pilot that didn't air. It was a show in production that they buried. Huh. Yeah, interesting, huh? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I, like, I, there's no way to say something that doesn't sound like glib or something. So I was like, well, Amanda looks at it as like the greatest boot camp where she. Because she didn't really have a good time on it. Mm -hmm. They didn't know what her character was, and it changed from episode to episode. So it was, I think, a little bit of a struggle for her. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it didn't air was nice because she still got the pay and the work, but like kind of got to bury her first trial at that sort of yeah. thing. And I think yeah. she got, gained a lot of experience from it. That's nice. Yeah. 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 Um, hmm. I wonder if that's how... Um, Uh, the the actor who plays Billy Loomis's dad feels <laughs> he doesn't have a lot in the or Kevin Costner in the Big Chill. Yes, that's way better. <laughs> that's a much better comparison. Uh, but I did notice that they used the same actor who plays Billy Loomis's dad in the first one for the quick. I, I was wondering surveillance footage of the mom walking in the motel. Oh, and speaking of dads, it was so nice to have Mr. Prescott back. Was that nice? Yeah. We hadn't seen him since Scream 1 for a scene and a half. Yeah. But now he's back. Yeah. Loving his daughter. Um, the, um, oh, when Sydney is reintroduced here, this is like the prototypical I've survived the sequel setup that I like love. It's also like Halloween H2O has this too. Yeah. And she's also gone on to like do something positive with her trauma. But yeah, like codes for the door yeah. and then staying at home to do something about your your trauma to help others it's like perfect yeah. movie setup stuff uh that's why i think i'm a little disappointed by where they have gail at the beginning of this because it kind of just mm. seems to be a retread of where she was at the beginning of part two. Oh, and one her her and dewey their arc just resets each time they're on the indiana jones arc yeah no kidding so scream two took place before scream one <laughs> also it's crazy to think that these movies December 96 to spring 2000 that's just like three and a half years that they got three movies out I know Courtney Cox I read said she was flirting with David Arquette in the first one sleeping with him in the second one and married to him in the third or sharing a trailer with him wow which is how it works in the screen movies yeah I guess because so. they start to hook up and scream too, and then they yeah. get interrupted. But I yeah, did. naturally in an auditorium when a murderer is on the prowl. <laughs> what I was wondering when I watched the beginning of Scream Three and saw their scenes, I'm like, "Oh, so they've slept together? That's weird." I as actors or characters? Uh, I meant characters, but I guess yeah. actors too. Well, also, it's like Dewey continues to have his severe limp, but Courtney Cox no issues with a gut shot. 
<laughs> right? Uh. <laughs> or falling into an orchestra pit. Uh, apparently, she got shot in the bangs. <laughs> I said bang, bang, not bang, 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 bang. Um, the um, uh, then we get the introduction of Detective Mark Kincaid. Oh, I thought you meant the introduction of Silent Bob and Jay. Okay, I've been I've said this movie had some low points, (laughs) like with the we're bringing back Randy via video, um, uh, the voice changer, and I'm going back on forth. Is this the lowest of the lowest points? Because it's kind of like benign. And no, I know what you mean. But it's so superfluous. Like also the 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 Miramax verse yeah. feels like they're trying to create a Miramax verse, like you said, with the videos of chasing Amy and Yeah, and then Carrie Fisher and a year later she's in she does a cameo in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And this was supposed to be Jamie Lee Curtis. So you also have H2O. It should have been Jamie. I know. She, she, I guess, declined. Oh, fuck. I know. It definitely should have been. That would have been good because they, the joke is you look like that person. So it would have fit with in Scream 1. Oh, one of our awesome trustees on the Patreon noticed this thing how in the first Scream, Jamie Kennedy is saying to Jamie Lee Curtis on screen, oh, yeah. Jamie, turn around. But he could be saying that to himself. I know. I took a screenshot. I want to give credit where credit's due. Uh, to the person there was also because we asked last time what's a successful whodunit because they almost always are disappointment and I'm sorry I don't remember who wrote this but they did have a great one and that's Watchmen is a great whodunit specifically oh, the comic book yes is a really satisfying one that's good um it was Ross McCarthy just want to point out an extra layer of awesome about something you guys mentioned. When Ghostface is sneaking up behind Randy as he is watching Halloween, Randy starts saying, Jamie, look behind you, behind you, Jamie, referring to Jamie Lee in yeah. Halloween. But Jamie Kennedy is the actor saying that, so he is literally telling himself to turn around. So clever. And then the other thing I took a screenshot of comments from Christopher E. Lamb, LM. I wanted to bring this up in the first screen movie, but I, the title eluded me, but he says, does anyone else remember the movie? There's nothing out there. It was released in the mid late eighties. and was the first movie to ever have a movie geek character who uses quote horror movie rules to fight the killer. Hmm. Just had to give it a sc- shout out there. I feel like it cut the path for scream. I remember in college, somebody telling me like, Oh, did you know there's a movie called there's nothing oh, out there? That's, I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. So if people want to check that out, yeah, we should. should at some point. Um, Anyway, the uh, uh, Detective Mark Kincaid, this is the second of 80s child actor dweebs who grew up hot and are now Sydney's love interest. Jerry O'Connell. Oh, right. And now Patrick Dempsey. Guys who you maybe dismiss in the 80s. So who's next? Like, who's going to be her love interest in Scream 5? Uh, McLovin. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, well there's a Culkin in Scream 4 yeah Rory Rory yeah um, hmm. I don't know it's not worth mining uh, but yeah Patrick Dempsey got hot huh yeah this is where I 
recognized his hotness for the first time. I hadn't seen this, so I think it for me it was. Did I ever see Grey's Anatomy? No, it must have been Mobsters for me. I was gonna say I know he was cute in Mobsters, <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard when you're sitting next to Costas Mandalore. Is that who that guy's name is? Oh, well, you're sitting between Christian Slater and uh, Richard Grieco. Oh, Grieco, that's right. I, but I'm who's trying the to watch Costas Mandalore or Costas Gravis or Costas Mangro? Oh, he's like a Greek model or something. Not since um, uh, um, the Newton boys have there been such four hunks. <laughs> no, you're not kidding. Who's the bad guy? And oh, it's Anthony Quinn. In what? In mobsters. <laughs> really? Yeah, and F. Murray Abraham, I think, is like Meyer Lansky's mentor. Patrick Dempsey. I've been wanting to watch that movie again, and I can't find it anywhere. Or maybe it's maybe it's for rent. I forget. Uh, yeah, you should do an early '90s Dempsey double feature of that and uh, Run. Oh, I haven't seen Run. That's like a Man on the Run movie. Oh. Yeah, that was one of the movies that I I had like 20 movies that I when I had two VCRs that I would rent a movie and dub. And just keep every movie I rented. And oh, because it's from for some reason, 1990, baby. Yeah. I, we have so many movies from the year 1990 that we did from the VCR that I think is when it clicked for people. Yeah. yeah. You finally had two VCRs now to like work with or something. Yeah. It was people figured it out, but also like VCRs weren't such a luxury that you could th- theoretically have two VCRs. Right. And uh, the technology wasn't there to keep you from not from ripping it off yeah because sometimes you would do it maybe like a line would go through it or something or it would warble something yeah some of them had they were getting wise but it was always that you had one shitty old one that you just did the dubbing on and then you had the good one that you did all your regular vcr viewing on and that was how some of us did our first editing for movies and stuff yeah um that's right yeah uh the uh um So then we find out that uh, they're shooting Stab 3, Return to Woodsboro, uh-huh. which I thought was a clever title because yeah. Scream 3 does not return to Woodsboro. No. I mean, they do be through Stab 3. Um, we get to hear Red Right Hand. Yeah. Uh, now, when we go to the lot, they have billboards up that say now shooting scream three and a big scream or stab three logo on the stage door that's not real no the only thing i could think of is that in universal when you go on the tram tour sometimes they would have like an in production that you could see on the tram tour but not for where the stages were like it was to let you know like what the big thing coming is almost like free press oh yeah when i went to um universal studios uh, Orlando, the summer it opened, the aforementioned 1990. I remember looking over and finding out there was going to be a Child's Play sequel because they had a billboard up. Oh, it. interesting. Uh, sorry, Jack. Chucky's back. Uh, <laughs> wait, on this note that they're yes. filming Stab 3, I don't think it's this scene, but there's the part where the Randy actor, when Jenny McCarthy goes mm-hmm. to Roman's office and he comes out and he's got scissors through his head because they're doing a makeup test. But 
what are the circumstances in Stab 3 that he gets giant golden comic scissors stuck through his head? Yeah, he apparently isn't getting killed in a TV news van like in Scream 2. No, he's getting killed at the opening of a business. (laughs) (laughs) He was just about to cut a ribbon and the ghost face came in and snatched it out. Yeah, or he got killed by the scissors nun in Exorcist 3. I also wonder who is... Randy, who is the Randy character in Stab 3? I mean, I know I said he was dead for Scream 3, so that's already a little weird uh, that he's still alive in Stab 3. In Stab 3? 3? Oh, who is the character? Um, Randy, the one who's who says he's the Randy character. Yeah. Um, technically, if you were adapting Scream into the movies, he would die in Stab 2. Right. Um, but also with Randy, it's like... Well, who is Randy in the Stab movies? Because the Stab movies don't seem to have the meta, sophisticated yeah. tone. Oh, right. So, so is Randy, he just plucky comic relief? Yeah, he's not the guy going that there's movie rules. It did make me think, like, the way they kind of shit on the Stab movies and the Scream movies makes me sad. <laughs> like, the, like when Jenny McCarthy is like, oh my God, I'm in Stab 3. I got to call my agent. And I'm like, the irony is... Jenny McCarthy being Scream 3 is the best work her agent ever did for her. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, but it would have been cool, I think, if they would have tried to have a laugh at Kevin Williamson's style meta dialogue. Might as well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would have just added It's the sort of extra layer stuff that I was kind of hoping with Scream 3. I mean, like, I remember sitting in the theater when she got attacked on the set of her house and thinking at the beginning, this is so cool. This is exactly what I've wanted from a screen movie and they're delivering it. And then when it ended, just going like, it didn't ever go at a point where I'm like, it blew my mind and cleverness. No, the the ideas are so present and whether those are Kruger or Williamson, I don't know, but they're just not really delivered on, but her going back to her house and having it be a movie set and the, when that she opened that door and they were, it's like Winchester mystery house That's up the above. Best part. Yeah. It was so great. And then throwing Ghostface out of it too. Yeah. It's like not only meta, but like metaphorical and, and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I really loved that. Yeah. I like that. And then they do come up with some funny gags about like when Jenny McCarthy's being attacked, she picks up a a knife and stabs him, but it's a prop knife. Yeah. It's like, oh shit. Like yeah. there's really, there is funny moments. Like, like when she's getting chased in the house, I think I would have liked something like, she's like, well, I've lived this. I know the rules. Right. So she tries to out do something that she did in the first in her house, but it doesn't work now because it's a set and the person's outsmarted her. Something like that. Yeah. Or even like something she knows about the house that the director doesn't or vice yeah. versa. Yeah. Something. Uh, I feel like if Kevin Williamson had been screenwriting, he's, and just also the clever dialogue that people have. It's just, it's sort of lacking in this. Yeah. Like there's a point where Cotton says something like to the killer on the phone, like if you lay a finger on her head, and I'm like, that's a cliche yeah. that Kevin Williamson would never write. Or if he did, it would be a setup to yeah. play, have a play on that cliche. Right. I know. Cause even when like the reveal of the uh, bulletproof vest, the line is just like, you should have checked below the surface. Yeah. 
it's yeah. like, I get your symbolism there, but um, that's the way also the not appropriate. The talk about movies is yeah. sort of weak. They're like, this is a little like the killer talking to the cops, a little like Silence of the Lambs or Seven. Or I'm like, or any movie with a killer. Usually they talk yeah. to, like it just was not, it was like Aaron Kruger trying to have the characters talk smartly about movies, but he's not. It's like he thinks the way to be referential about movies is to literally just reference a movie. Yes. They're not philo- like just. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, um, oh, oh. Uh, one thing is just Roger Corman did make a little cameo there. Uh, yeah. And he's he's the one who says the line that I have to imagine was taken from the headlines of real life. He says, violence in cinema is a big deal right now, Roman. This is not the kind of news the studio is after. Yeah. Um. Oh, another clever thing that I did think was when um, Jenny McCarthy character says, we're not in any g- danger. And then the person flips to the script and says, your character says that on page 73. Then we're introduced to Parker Posey and Patrick Warburton. Uh, Gail references. It's funny that her she references how Parker Posey had a breakup with Brad Pitt. And her real life name is Jennifer. Now, oh, Brad Pitt and Jennifer yeah. Aniston were together. They weren't broken up by that point. So Scream 3 predicts that Brad Pitt and a woman named Jennifer will break up. But isn't there also her name Jolie too? Oh. Her name's like Jennifer Jolie something. Like uh, Angelina Jolie? I don't know. I saw that on IMDb and I start, like I said, I had to watch this in two installments for. No, I did too. Yeah. Uh, and I was like half reading the trivia at a part during the movie when I was trying to pay attention to the movie. So I. Yeah. The, uh, uh, um, it's just, it's a uh, weird, uh, the, um, cause yeah. Cause the guy that plays Dewey is also Tom Prins, which is like, Freddie Prince. Oh, for real? They're, they're, I think yeah. they're referencing. I see. I see. Um, and apparently Gail's never watched any of the stab movies because she didn't know that guy plays the Dewey character. Yeah. Great investigative reporting. <laughs> Don't tell me, but I'm so curious if stab plays into part four or even part five, like that franchise, does it continue? I'm not going to tell you, buddy. I said not to. <laughs> I would have been upset if you did. Um, I'm pretty sure I've told this Patrick Warburton tidbit here uh, before, but you know, uh, on the pod, but if I have it, I'll just say it real quick. You know that he hosts in the line queue for Soren. Oh yeah. At California Adventure. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I had been to Soren once before, and then I went to Disneyland again with some friends and it was their first time oh, yes, on Soren. That's right. Did I tell you the story? <laughs> no, but I don't remember okay. the punchline and <laughs> I know, quick, I so- just am laughing because I already know that I love this story. <laughs> But I don't remember the punchline. <laughs> so in the line, I said, oh, it's funny how in Seinfeld, they were always dating people, but nobody ever had, outside of George and Susan, had like a consistent partner for many episodes over a season. Seasons. And then people were like, well, Elaine had... Uh, why by Putty. Bl- putty. And then... The joke, I'd go, what? Like, Putty, that dumb guy, she was like, they dated him. And they, I've watched Seinfeld. I have no clue who this Putty guy is. 
going, all right. And then like 20 minutes pass later in the line. And the screen comes up and Patrick Bird pops up. He's like, welcome to Soren. And everybody turns and goes, that's. And then I got a big shit eating grin on my face. Like, oh, I know. <laughs> what a long con. What a payoff. What a long, dumb con. You know what I love about this podcast now that, yes, you have told that story before. I didn't remember the ending. And we've done enough episodes and have done this long enough that I think even some listeners are going to be like, Oh yeah, what is the ending to that? Let's <laughs> let's hear that again. Or the unfortunate soul who is just re-listening to it or listening for the I first know. time and heard it yesterday. Yeah, oh, dear God, gotta hear this fucking Warburton <laughs> story. <laughs> God, if Matt mentions his Halloween experience one more time, <laughs> we're, we're that for that forever. Uh, oh, that cop actor also calls her Gail Weather. That's Gail funny. Weathers. Yeah. He's like, Gail Weather. <laughs> um. Uh, okay, we didn't really get to I, with the Jay and Silent Bob thing. When I was yeah. sitting in the theater, I hated that moment. Yeah. And my friends all, we all groaned. The other time we groaned is when she asked Patrick Dempsey, what's your favorite scary movie? And he oh, goes, yeah. my life. Yeah. And then I'll just share a joke that my friends and I all had after we saw it. We were like laughing about how he said my life. Like that was so dumb. They were like, what if he meant that Michael Keaton movie? (laughs) (laughs) That works better. I saw that in the theater. You did? Yeah. Uh, Three hanky sitch. Not a dry eye in the house. Um, Not a dry eye in the gorly skull. No, I don't remember crying in that one. (laughs) Um, But, uh, when Jay and Silent Bob showed up, I was on the fence of like, what is great? This doesn't seem to be as good as the first two. And then when Jay and Silent Bob came in, I was like, it really, yeah. maybe in a way that helped me watch the rest of it. It kind of like made me lower my expectations. So then anything that like Parker Posey was doing just seemed even better and made me feel better because I was something was making me happy. I know it's just such a weird, unnecessary. It's like, this is not exactly the same thing, but I loved rogue one, but there's the cameo of what's the character's name? Dr. Evergan or Eversgan, the guy in star Wars, who's like, you'll be dead to Luke in the cantina. He just shows up walking and they, and like Jin does kind of a little double take or like they bump into each other. And it's so, uh, what are you, what are you doing? Like yeah, all like, the, of all the gin joints of all the galaxies are going <laughs> to run into this guy here just for a, a familiar reference. It, yeah. And it doesn't, for this, it seems like they're trying to, they think Kevin Smith movies are cool and they want some of that coolness to like, and I disagree. I'm like, scream, scream is cool. Do you uh, think that's because Wes Craven is puts him, he's in this, he has a cameo, he's in all his, is it like a Hitchcock thing or is he really like cameos are fun and let's build a, a, a Miramax verse or is Harvey Weinstein going like, we got to start Synergy, Synergy is the new. Yeah. I don't know what the source is. Or was Kevin Smith lobbying to yeah, do it? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I you know when you said it's about movies and there's other in jokes and stuff. I guess it makes it better than if it was a Nightmare on Elm Street three and Jane like and Cheech yeah. and Chong walk by. Or something. Yeah, I mean definitely this says a tone that it could work and th- it's also happening before like Wes Craven was dressed like Freddy Krueger in the first one and you've got this meta thing with 
Henry Winkler and yeah, and now Carrie Fisher. And is there a cameo celebrity kind of role in part two? I forget. Mm. Not quite. Oh, uh, Luke Wilson playing. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Tori oh, Spelling. and Tori Spelling yeah. too. Yeah. So it's at least not like totally off course but it's unnecessary for sure i had just um, dogma had just come out a few months before that and dogma just so you guys know was my at the time worst movie going experience and to this day is still remains my worst movie going experience because of the circumstances or because i just i hated the movie yeah so yeah. so much um and I had so soured on Kevin Smith by that point. So then when Jay and Silent Bob showed up in my scream movies, oh, yeah. it really like stung. Yeah. That, that'd be like you're watching licorice pizza and, um, Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem come in as Lucy in her car. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been a good moment of synergy in that instead of having, um, uh, Christine Embersall play yeah. Lucille Ball in that, just have yeah. <laughs> Nicole Kidman. Um, <laughs> uh, the um, Sydney's dad is back, bought yeah. some groceries. Uh, then this is that big for He's me. He's back in such a short way that I was like, is he the killer? What else? Are, what Why reason are we bringing bring him, him back? back? What is this? <laughs> they owed him a favor. Um, the Sydney goes to sleep and kind of has that nightmare Freddy-esque dream about her mom, which... I thought it was scary. Like yeah. when mom looked through the window and stuff. That was creepy. There was, that was a scary moment. And I will say this one was about like, what is a lighting measure? Like a candle, <laughs> like 1.1 candle darker than the other screen movies. So it was getting a little bit closer to the cinematography that I kind of oh. want. And this maybe the score was a little more horror centric yeah. too than Western, you know? I mean, I, when I was watching those scenes, I did think, oh, they're effective. I also did think like Wes Craven must be getting a little bored of like slasher tropes. Yeah. Like, oh, let's make this scary in a different way. Same or, with like he did with um, Nightmare on Elm Street. How yeah. He had to go meta. Yeah. Um, the um, Then we get to Jenny McCarthy's death. Yeah. Oh, did you see the music video award that she broke? What it was? What? It was a director with one of those like. What are those megaphone megaphones um riding a guitar <laughs> <laughs> that's funny the costume rack thing was great the i love it that was that the was... other thing when i was thinking like oh she picks up a knife and thinks it's gonna work but it's a prop was yeah. the ghost face costumes that yeah. were coming alive um um she also complains about how there's like rewrites and she doesn't know the pages which seem to be like Scream, yeah, behind the scenes thing. Yeah. Um, uh, so then they go, uh, go to uh, Parker Posey's house. This is where I fell in love with her in this movie, is when she jumps into her bodyguard's arms. Yep, oh that god, because you could just tell it's a it hadn't happened in a take before, it was a, an improvised moment. That's just her, like, going. And it was so good. The Lillard comparison is pretty With right. Because we remember there was something that happened in Scream where we're like, it, it was a button to a scene. The mom we're... and dad line? With Carly. My mom no, and dad. It was, it was like a final, well, maybe it was, but, but it was like a, um, uh, 
oh, this would have never been scripted. This couldn't even yeah. been rehearsed and decided on. This is some right. like how loody would have that have been if Wes Craven was like, and then at the end of the scene, you walk over and jump in his arms. Yeah. But it's fantastic. And she's so funny. She's like smoking cigarettes and is scared. Yeah. Oh God, I just, just because you, you think she's going over there for a hug, but then she just, <laughs> it's just my favorite moment in the entire film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she really uh, brings up the movie a whole two numbers maybe yeah. for me when I'm doing my ranking. Yeah. Um, now, uh, they're trying to kind of set up, this is where they go, oh my God, somebody's killing them in the order they die in the movie, which is similar to Scream 2 when they're like, they're killing them, people the with the same names. Yeah. As soon as they uncover that's what it is, then it stops. Yeah. Same. Like it never then And same with the second movie too. Yeah. Yeah. It is weird. <laughs> um but they're trying to present um Warburton, I think a little bit is a possible red herring. Uh-huh. But that's so ridiculous. Can you imagine that big guy <laughs> in a ghost face costume? <laughs> it would be all tight. I would like to see it. And the mask would be kind of stretched out. His jaw would be like sticking out underneath yeah. the yeah. <laughs> um but I do love the idea of killing people in the order of the movie. That's a yeah. cool thing. Um, uh, they also talk about, oh, I really like that um, sequence where they're going uh, in and out of the house and getting fax pages and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's good. I thought that was really I like how they're fun. trying to be one step ahead of like, no, he'd want us to be in the house if he's yeah. – or he'd want us to go outside if he's saying stay in the house. and Yeah. <laughs> You'd expect me to assume to take this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> um, right on the heels of that kind of maybe Wes Craven reference about Roman wanting to do a classic love story in exchange for a scary movie, he says – to Parker Posey that she'll always have must-see TV, which is, I guess, a Courtney Cox? Because of Friends? Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's three jokes, I think, about actresses sleeping with directors before it becomes a major plot point. Uh, When Roman walks off, uh, Parker Posey's character makes a joke, like, remind me not to sleep with him again. Yeah. And then... There's a reference to it with Carrie Fisher. If I had slept with George Lucas, I would have been Princess Leia. Right. And then one other joke. But then it becomes the Harvey Weinstein-inspired plot point. To this. I know. I was watching 30 Rock the other day, and Jenna Maroney's character mentioned sleeping with Harvey Weinstein. And it was like, ooh. Whoa. I mean... What do you think Harvey Weinstein thought when he was reading the script? It's like, are they taking a shot at me? Because oh. the Lance Hendrickson guy, he's like a producer who is like, yeah, uh, like he was, you either run with the game in Hollywood or you get out or something like that. You either, <sighs> he's, he was so unself-aware. He's probably like, see, it's proof this is fine. Like, or, or was proud of it, I'm sure, you know. Thank you for the biopic you guys have given me in yeah. Scream 3. Um, the, uh, when Sydney goes on the, they go back to her and I like, it seems like they're trying to do like a little bit of the beat for beat recreation. Cause remember in scream one and scream two, there's always a moment where she gets interacts with the killer earlier on than you expect. Yeah. 
They sort of do that here where she gets a call and it's her mom's voice. Yeah. And it sounds almost like Jason's mom because she's saying something like, do as mother tells you and stuff. I'm just realizing this is fucking crazy that the mom's voice can be recreated on this thing. Who is long dead and nobody probably, maybe before she was killed, he was like, go through each of the 46 (laughs) consonant and vowel sounds. And continents. Go through the seven continents. (laughs) And name six cereals. (laughs) Um, But when she looked down and saw that the home light was flashing on screen and stuff on her phone, that all stuff was really creeping me out. But then it just ended. Yeah, again, a nice idea not really delivered upon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Love Gail being jealous of Dewey being arm-in-arm with fake Gail. It's like all that stuff is really funny. that was great. Did you notice also he's wearing an American flag pin on his lapel? Dewey is? Yeah, and I'm thinking this is 2000. There was that. That was starting to become a thing where the Republicans were all wearing it, and then the Democrats are kind of like, well, we are too, and... That's funny. And then yeah. 9-11, then after that, kicked it off for good. Yeah, or maybe that's when it was. So maybe this was before that. But when I saw, um, I had the thought, and not to sound like a real lefty here, but I did have the thought of like, I saw an American flag out somebody's house and I was like, that scares me. I know. we. Why should that we, scare me? My gonna, own flag? I, I We <laughs> put out an American flag for 4th of July and I'm like, should we take this down? Because there is like a... Now, like a jingoistic kind of freedom overall Trump sort of thing. Yeah. And we were like, no, for this holiday, like we, it's our flag too. Like we, yeah, you can't give up that thing. And, and then it's, of course, it's all just a flag. So it's yeah. ridiculous. It's a little what we were talking about earlier about like, wait, if I like this movie, that means I'm, yeah, it's right- horrible. Like, yeah. It's yeah. F- so fraught. Yeah. But I know exactly what you're talking about. Or I saw somebody with a mask that was a, a face mask that was like an American flag. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but that is 100%, you know, the message being sent there. So we basically yeah. settled on a California flag because we're, you know, proud of what our state kind of yeah. has come yeah. to embody. And yeah. you get a bear on there too. I know. Monarch the bear. His name's Monarch. His name, I think it's a her, actually. I think her name is Monarch, oh, I believe. Oh, cutie. I scratch your ears. Oh, don't. She's dangerous. <laughs> So grizzly bear. Crazy? I'll put honey on my hands so they like Oh, it. yeah, that'll work. <laughs> um, lots of young actors smoking. That seemed yeah. to be a thing probably in the 90s, the cool young actors This smoked. would be the like the last bastion Breath. of that in movies, too, where you could have characters smoke. Yeah, this is really a... Um, maybe if um, those Columbine kids, those killers had were smoking cigarettes they would have also not had cigarettes in this movie but like Bond wasn't even smoking at this point oh wow Pierce Brosnan was Pierce Brosnan just doesn't strike me as a smoker though either I can't imagine he occasionally gets cigar but you know now that was what was happening in the late 90s I know that was big cigar officiating I remember that and I even was like trying cigars at that point and then one time smoked one by myself after seeing American Beauty in my apartment and got so sick from it and the virtually passed out. I know. Memory. Like, yeah. The- <laughs> then I woke up to the sounds of Natalie Imbregulia. <laughs> I mispronounced her name. 
<laughs> that's her fault. You don't need that G. She doesn't need <laughs> that G in there. That's her fault. When her family came over through Ellis Island, they didn't do that thing where they made it easier and just took out yeah. the G. Or maybe Natalie it was worse Solo. before. It was like Natalie and Blue Gigli Gagguli Gucci. Well, <laughs> maybe for Scream 4, I'll learn how to pronounce her name. Uh, Not Liam Rulia. Have you ever heard of a clone cell phone? No, but that's shown up in other movies too. She goes, it's a clone cell phone. It's untraceable. I was like, huh? Yeah, I think they mean a burner. Yeah, that's, there's some weird okay. stuff. Like also the like Star 69 before you call... I didn't know yeah. what the hell they were getting into. There was a lot of weird... I, that explanation did crack me up because it just seemed like such a... Uh, and they also have like near the end before Roman dies, like a really like intense close-up of a cell phone saying incoming call. Because cell phones were new to people and the the like technology was still figuring itself out. So you'd have to explain like, hit this button, yeah. you'll be able to call it. Yeah. Um, uh, I love the like... Um, backlot photo reveal stuff but it is like a bit contrived that like parker posey shows him that photo right before he sees the photo of the mom and goes oh those are the same buildings i know and the sweaty contrivance that dewey is outside her house in a trailer just so they could have all the characters kind of oh yeah um right uh but then um when warburton goes into the trailer I think that's an actual candid photo of David Arquette and Courtney Cox that he looks at. They don't look mm. in character as Dewey and Gale. Yeah, you're probably right. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Um, Warburton dies. When he walks up all bloody and stuff, I thought that was scary. Yeah, that was good. His neck's all sliced and stuff. Yeah. Um, and he's got just enough of that, like, his deadpan comic delivery on things is even present there a little yeah. bit where he's just kind of Frankensteining in. <laughs> because and, he's like, like yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, the we've talked before how sometimes screen movies don't do things that horror movies do mm -hmm. uh, there are sometimes other genres there's never been a more non-gory non-horror death than the guy who with the lighter blows up the gas explosion and then the actors we want to live get blown off the railing. Yeah. That's like lethal weapon stuff. I know. And you know I love my LW. Yeah. But... And that guy, I was like, where have I seen this guy? And I was like, oh yeah, she's kind of the romantic interest of Parker Posey in Waiting for Guffman. He's the, like, just that like working class Wait, guy. Wait, is he Johnny to Savage? Be... Is that his name? Yeah. 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 It's the same actor? Yeah. <laughs> You're right, it is. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So what else is... I don't know. And then we had um, uh, Arquette, David Arquette's dad. That's right. Scream 2. Yeah. So maybe by the time all the Scream <sighs> movies will be done, all the Guffman actors will be in it. Fred Willard, Michael Hitchcock, Deb Theaker, Larry... What's his name? Uh, 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 Miller. Larry Miller. Catherine O'Hara. Christopher Guest, Eugene Levy. Yeah. What if they were all on Scream 4? We're like, oh, okay. Like, and they're the ones on the poster. <laughs> all the heads. How did I never know? <laughs> uh, uh, then Sydney comes back uh, into everybody's life. She yeah. returns to the precinct. Um, okay, and then this is where uh, Martha Meeks 
Randy's sister pops up. Um, somebody says, uh, what are you doing here? She goes, we missed you in Woodsboro. I got to pee. Oh, okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> it just dawned on me, Matt. I'll be right back. With Corley and Rust. With Corley and Rust. And we're back. All right. So, um,. We can wrap up here. I'm looking through my notes, and as it usually goes, we talk about it. Um, we get to them sort of in the pre-conversation. But um, a couple of things that I uh, did notice was um, when Sydney goes into her uh, bedroom set, I was thinking it'd be funny if she was like, do we have to have the Creed poster up? I know. Like, is that... I never really liked them. People think I like Creed. I yeah, like that. It was a weird choice to me. Yeah. Uh, I think they might be on the soundtrack too. I think. Yeah. I think. Do they play gets... in the credits? Yeah. Some Someone Creed like plays after Creed-like. the red light hand. Yeah. Uh, the. When they go um, and confront. Um, oh, I like the twist that, you know, Sydney got attacked in the bathroom from the stall yeah. in the first one yeah. and then playing on that. And then the letters on the door that say two stage 16, they're kind of like up and down. They kind of look like wobbly. It looks like the font for nightmare on Elm street. Oh. Um, huh. but the, uh, uh, when they go confront, um, Milton, the Lance Hendrickson character, did you notice that prop from one of his movies that he had? The alien. It was like a robot. <laughs> oh yeah, Dad. like a Terminator kind of thing. Yeah, and inside was like a clear plastic dome head with a brain inside it. That's well, kind of like RoboCop too. Yeah, but what about? Well, just I like to think that he made a movie about a dumb uh, robot yeah. with a brain in it. Well, the thing I couldn't get wrap my head around was: did you see he had a diving board outside his window? No, it's incredible, almost like a work of art. So, like, there's the window. He's up in this high office, looking uh, over, looking at Echo Park, Echo Park Lake, yeah, or Silver Lake. Is that? Yeah, sorry, uh, Echo Park Lake. Yeah, yeah. There is a diving pool, diving board with those, you know, those rails that you use to get into a pool. Uh-huh. There's the diving board, and it has feet painted on it. And it's like this cool kind of thing, like an executive, like going to take an exec. What did they used to call it? The executive. Oh, like high dive. There was a phrase like, cause when executives would like jump out of windows, the executive oh. knows that. What did they used to call it? I forget. The- or like during with the great depression when people were jumping out of buildings yeah. and stuff. But I was immediately like, ah, oh, Chekhov's diving board. That is definitely the way that this guy's <laughs> going to die. Like Ghostface is going to send him out off this diving board. I was so disappointed. And once again, there's an idea like, yeah, come on. Use that it. It's awesome. sitting there. Wait. So was it like a, an art piece that the guy had installed? I get, I gather, or like a prop from one of his movies, but it's outside the window. What if it was the diving board from Lethal Weapon 1 that blows up? Yes, with Michelle uh, burn, uh, uh, Burnt Up? Uh, Jeanette Goldstein, yeah. Oh, um, the, um, man, I would have liked a diving board kill. I um, know. 
I mean, like imagine a diving board from that high up with no pool. Although I guess the lake is below, but the um uh the when you get uh, Nev Campbell and Patrick Dempsey in a scene together, you're gonna have some real dramatic acting. Some real TV teen angst, yeah. Yes. Like uh the only thing I know, he says something like, All I know with trilogies and the third one, all bets are off. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with your acting. Uh um they then they arrive at Milton's mansion. Um reminded me of how you went to Wes Craven's house. <laughs> yeah, a little different. Uh I noticed that poster for a movie, Where Dad? It was like a werewolf dad movie. Oh, I wonder if that's real. And then they reference Sling Blade, which I think Miramax does. So if anybody's writing their thesis about how John Milton is Harvey Weinstein in this movie. And also the Miramax verse. Yes. It's all uh, coming together. I be a better thesis than Biagio Bonacorsi's (laughs) counter Machiavellianism to Machiavelli and Robert Cohen's The Prince. Are you kidding telling all my friends that thesis. Have you read, have you guys read Biagio Boncorsi's Counter Machiavellianism to Machiavelli and Robert Cohen's The Prince by Mac Worley? It's incredible. Um, I like the um, old prop room thing. That was a cool idea. Yeah. Um, and then I thought it was cool that kind of the twist on the, there's, they're calling inside the house when they yeah. call the cell phone and then it redirects to the closet and stuff. Um, the other joke is when the new Sydney says, I did not fuck that pig Milton to die here with you, uh, like second rate celebrities. Yeah. I'd call Harvey Weinstein a pig. Oh. I think that's a pretty, yeah. I think that's I think the word being people kind. use for him. Yeah. So she goes, I did not fuck that pig Milton. Yeah. <laughs> um, he does have forest wallpaper. Did you notice that wallpaper? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Ooh, I like the twist on the like hide in the closet, like Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, but then it becomes a secret passageway yeah, with that secret was good. staircases. Yeah. All up for a secret passageway. Anytime. But I thought for sure there was going to be more deviant stuff in there, but it was just wine, right? Yeah, they only really had that one way mirror thing. Yeah. Which uh, I that really cool. love that mirror scene. Me too. And it was kind of a throwback to this, the cool studio from the second. Like almost like they're like we need something like that. Yeah, and it was when the movie felt darkest. Yeah, when I was like, "Ooh, there's a sex dungeon thing with one way mirrors," and then it got scary that they didn't know they were being watched, and then the mirrors rattling. It was really cool. Yeah, I like that. That was like the best um, sequence, uh, scary sequence. I mean, um, uh. Overall, I'd say I do like Sydney does feel to be like a good part three of her character. I feel like she's confronting stuff and with the mom and accepting all that stuff that I thought was like uh, really worked for me. I wish she was in it more, but you really do learn that the mom is they had a troubled life. <laughs> but the way they make it, you're right. And the way they make it sound like it's all John Milton's fault. Yeah. That like her getting assaulted, uh, at his mansion yeah. years ago is the thing that kicked it all off. Right. I know. Um, it's interesting backstory. Well, then it's interesting too, because then her, uh, uh, uh we've been saying her name the whole time. Nev Campbell's Sydney. 
she never knew her mom was a, wanted to be an actress and failed. Yeah. But that's like what her story became. And I love that reveal by Carrie Fisher. And then the reveal that Parker Posey has like Ju- Judy Jorgenstern or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should talk Judy Jorgenstern. Um, and then, oh, you know, I thought the secret door to the screening, like having secret passageways was kind of a, its own way of being like a behind the scenes idea that this movie kind of takes yeah. up. Um, um, yeah. Uh, oh, there's a part where she says stab three and then she just stabs him once. She says to Roman, like stab three. She should have stabbed him three yeah, times. Yeah. She should have stabbed him three yeah, times. Absolutely. Um, Last thing I'll say uh, in the category of the screen movies are sometimes not like any other uh, horror movies. When has a second horror sequel ended like the party at Endor? Like uh, Jedi, (laughs) like Sidney Gale and Dewey and uh, 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 Detective Kincaid seemingly all live together. (laughs) The music is even kind of like this kind of like new agey, like, everything's better. Well, they're following the trilogy rules. That's right. Um, And then having it undone just a few years later. Yeah. Uh, What else do I got in here? I noted that her mom is missing for like two years. They say like there's two years where they can't account for where she was. Yeah. That's like Shakespeare. You know, there's a famous two years of where Shakespeare left Stratford and then showed up in London and they don't know what he was doing for two years. What what are the theories? He was traveling the world, maybe was in the military because they always, you know, the big argument as to why Shakespeare was never Shakespeare, like couldn't have been written is that he just had an elementary school education in Stratford. How could he know about the military, courtly life, all these things? But then some of the defenders of, yeah, Shakespeare, Shakespeare was, he was gone for two years. Maybe he was traveling the world and learning these things. And Maybe that's what all young writers need. Just go just out for two years. A room springer. <laughs> um, what else do I got here? Uh, oh, the knife sound effects are getting out of hand in this because it's, you know, like we are so conditioned when a knife is used in a movie to hear the the pulling out of a scabbard but like when she pulls that cocktail knife out of the cocktail set it's not even really touching anything and still does a and the stabbing is still like you're stabbing a sack of grain it's so gritty and I saw um, you know uh, sound guys insist on uh, or, or sound mixing thing on TV shows everybody's insane and has their cell phones volume up so you can hear each type Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I know we've talked about how before the phone thing I don't like is when somebody hangs up and it automatically goes to a dial tone. Yeah. No phone has ever done that in the history of phones ever. Yeah. Uh, uh, It's like, what about phones and sound are they just not grappling with? And I think I told you once we had a conversation once where I was like, can we not include the sound of the message sending in love with the texting? And the sound guys were like, it's really hard for people to understand that the message is being sent without that sound. No, like, it's just, not. No. We do it all the time. And I think it at this point takes people out of it. Cause you're going, that doesn't happen. 
Sound guys have to accept that phones have consistent sounds yeah. that were very... <laughs> and computers don't chirp when you press keys. Imagine if every time you pressed a key in a computer, yes. you'd go insane. Um, I saw once a tweet you did about, hey, in movies, just make these two things and you'll seem like real. Yeah. And one of them was have people swallow pills with water. Yeah. And say goodbye. When and you, say goodbye on the yeah. phone. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, I agree with the say goodbye thing. Yeah. You I swallow sp- pills without water. Why? Because I can. Because <laughs> you can't. Because I'm preternaturally heavy Leslie in saliva. Makes fun of me. She's like, you love bragging about how you don't need water to well, swallow. Well, I could do it too, but why would I? It's uncomfortable and chalky and dry. You don't feel like a lingering feeling in your throat. Mm-hmm. You're some kind of superhuman. I, I mean, this is why I'm bragging. I think that's really cool. But you are the exception to the rule. Well, and I also told somebody that once, and they were like, oh, you could like suck a dick well too. <laughs> Maybe you should cut that out, but this has been a pretty PG. I mean, I think it's funny. Okay. I think it's uh, funny. Um, but, yeah, uh, I just took a, you know, I had to take some, uh, after I got my booster. Yeah? I had to take some Tylenol. I took three Tylenols dry. Come on. Isn't that so cool of me? Do you also not say goodbye on the phone? You just hang up? No, I say goodbye. Uh, we watched Bosch, man. They never never say goodbye on a phone why is that why is that i'm convinced now it's not like in the beginning they were just like it's economy of screenwriting keep it going but now screenwriters think like oh i'll be i'll seem like a legit tv show if i don't have my character say goodbye on the phone yeah i know there's sometimes where um somebody you'll write what would actually happen and they're like this looks like the most amateurish um, writing, but somebody once told me, um, uh, I worked with somebody who, uh, worked with Seth Rogen and they were complimenting his writing of like, he's not afraid to open a scene with somebody walking in a room and going, what's up? Yeah. And uh, it's a really hard thing to like, trust yourself to be like, that is enough. You don't have to have somebody come in with like the most clever. Oh, my yeah. favorite thing is when someone comes into a room and another character has their back to them and just begins a monologue. Like <laughs> funny thing about chef hats. I always looked at them one way. Now I think about them this way. My last note is imagine the amount that, Sydney, Dewey, and Gail, imagine the amount of trial proceedings they would have to go through as witnesses, <laughs> defendants, both civil and criminal. There would be three movies between each one of these. That would be the huge trial. They're just constantly exhausted by all the trial appearances they have to do. Yeah. They're just like, and now the sad part is, is like, I don't even have raw feelings about my experience anymore. I've just talked it out. It's, <laughs> it's like, just like a type memory. of therapy. <laughs> uh, I did like the ending of this though. Like it is kind of spooky when she's like, what kind of movie you're watching? It's like, you'll have to find off and they disappear. It does feel a little creepy. Well, especially with the door open. Cause you're expecting something, but they're like, no, she's moved past her trauma. Yeah. Wouldn't have would be worse. Like, in, this in, woman's gone through this three times now. I thought she'd be like, a basket case. Why does she think just because Roman's dead that this is over? No, the only lesson to be learned is this is coming back time and time again. Yes. You should go. You know what? Oh, I thought it was over three times now. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the 
in Roger Ebert's review of Child's Play, he references how the scene ends on an op- the movie ends on an open door. So it it seems like it's suggesting a sequel. And I do think that's partly what's I like leaving this ending the door a lot open, because yeah. it's like leaving the door open as a joke, but it also does feel like even if she's wrong, yeah, does seem like character development for Sydney that she's and she's no longer afraid. Ironically, closure. Oh yes, open door means a composure for closure. Composure for closure for her. Sure. What's your best kill? Uh, the um, mirror one way mirror shooting. Parker Posey uh, or, or her dying. Me too, except it, theoretically the Chekhov's diving board should have happened. Yeah. And I just want Chekhov's diving board to replace Chekhov's gun. I do too. All right. Scream, we both gave, I gave it a 10, you gave it a 13. Uh, Scream, sorry. No, that's not right. Is that right? Uh, Scream, yeah, I gave it a 10, you gave it a 13. Scream 2, I gave it a 9, you gave it an 11.5. Okay. I'm going to give this movie a nine. I'm going to give it an 8.5 because I liked Scream 2 better, I think, but I just want you to know whatever the score of this was, it was upped just because of Parker Posey mm-hmm. by probably two full points. Yep. Yeah. Wish she could have stuck around. I know, me too. It was also so cool seeing this in the theater because I think she's in You've Got Mail, but it was the first time, which is obviously a mainstream studio movie, but this was the first time I got to see Parker Posey in a big studio movie, slick Hollywood product, and have her like knock it out of the park. I remember thinking that's Uh, cool too. I don't think I had because I'd only seen her in like Waiting for Guffman and clock watchers or I don't party remember party girl yeah. yeah and then I think the first thing I saw her in would be Superman where she played like Lex Luthor's mm-hmm. sidekick or something yeah thank you for saying Lex Luthor not Kevin Spacey <laughs> You're welcome. we've had enough Weinstein talking here uh, yeah anybody who wants to go back and watch Superman Returns directed by uh, starring Kevin Spacey and directed by Brian uh, Jesus it wasn't Singer. a Miramax film was it <laughs> oh god <laughs> Well, always end on that note. <laughs> uh, well, so I guess Scream 4. That's right. We wrap up the original franchise and then we'll somehow get out to see Scream 5. I've been thinking about this with the uh, yeah. uh, with the strain, the uh, Omicron. Omicron? Omicron. Omicron. It's making me a little nervous about know. getting to see the Scream 5 because it's about theaters that. only, right? Yeah, I believe so. The options are we don't see it and we push it a little, which we'd be understandably justified in doing. Mm-hmm. Or we could go like an early showing at the IPEC, which mm. has very small theaters. That's it, good. But, get... but we should either, both of us should feel good about that and we can talk no, about that no, when no. the time comes. Because, yeah. yeah, I read in the LA Times today that the infection rate of someone that is asymptomatic is 1.9. So it's doubling. It's insane. The amount Say of that again? anybody that has Omicron uh-huh. is infecting virtually two other people with it. So it's doubling. So you tell two friends and they tell two friends. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny because we're having our own little, uh, uh, Sydney experience. We want to stay inside our house. I know. 
but maybe we got to learn to leave that door open every once in a while. We'll talk. We've, we've still got a couple of weeks, so yeah. we'll see how okay. we feel, but I'm sure the listeners will understand and, and we can, Oh, you know, I was going to suggest that we cover at least the first scary movie in this season too. Fun. Cause it's so related. Yeah. So maybe we could put that as a buffer in between. Sure. Yeah. Give us some time. Yeah. We'll and see. Then, and then also, you know, maybe somebody will just bootleg it for us and put it online and it's very likely. Yeah. It's, it's very possible. <laughs> Well, Matt. All right. Pleasure as always. Yes, I'll see you next time on With Gorley and, and Rust. Rust. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early. Plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Gorley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review With Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Cats. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.